When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. From Pod World Headquarters, this is the Carolina Insider from Learfield. We are back. Time for very special, monumental, yes indeed glorious edition of the Carolina Insider, Jones and Adam here with you, and Adam we've done it, 499 Previous pods in the rearview mirror. Here we are at Pod 500. And let me ask you a legitimate question Could there be? Any other possible 
of the seven choices any other possible day of the week that pod number 500 is hand delivered right there to your phone then Friday Adam, what's up? 500 shows. You said that this was monumental, and that made me think, that'd be a pretty good name for what a if college named, team. Yeah, what if we named our college team the Monumentals? What if it was the University of North Carolina Monumentals? Certainly rolls right off the tongue. What a show we have for number 500. Now, a couple different things where we're going here. Of course, we're going to recap the hot action that was Carolina at Notre Dame on Wednesday night. The Tar Heels have their worst offensive half in more than 40 years, shooting-wise, but then recover to play basketball in the second half at a relatively high level and win the ballgame. Again, they had to win. So we'll talk about that. We'll look ahead a little bit to Carolina and Virginia. Another big game. Every game at this point is huge for the Tar Heels. That's coming up on Saturday, 6 o'clock, Adam? Yes. We'll be on the air at 5 p.m. for that one. We have – so guess what? We're only doing – we're going to bring you the audio of our video pod interview with Julia Noer from UNC Gymnastics. Talk to Julia – an absolute delightful conversation from earlier in the week. You may have already seen it and heard it. That's okay. So instead of having a guest, Adam and I are going to go down memory lane a little bit. We're going to talk some about the journey of the pod. We're going to pull out some of our a couple clips from some of our favorite interviews. Adam, I feel like we probably need to play the Pod 200 song and the Pod 300 medley. Together, that equals 500. The Pod made it to 200. We're hashtag grind and you keep subscribing. So we'll probably play those for you as well. Just a, a nice little memory lane journey of the first 499 pods. We have... A five-second challenge. We have a remember these guys. We have a story time. I mean, why, what else could we have but all the stuff? So we've got it all on the show today for pod number 500. Plus, they're apparently testing speakers right outside the window, just blaring very odd. I mean, it's like John Tesh or something. So good stuff. Adam, what's up? Maybe they're getting ready for the tip-off club. Yeah, that's right. They want to have some elevator type music in the tip-off they're gonna add strings to the tip-off club like what would make this even more hype what about an orchestral quartet yeah so all of that is brought to you by give unc join your fellow tarios on march 28th a little more than a month from now for give unc carolina's annual giving day one day hundreds of causes to support learn more at giveunc.unc.edu. That's giveunc.unc.edu. 
you. And how could we forget, been with us for a long time, the folks at Pinehurst. There's more to the Pinehurst Resort than Donald Ross's masterpiece, Pinehurst Number 2. Goodness gracious, there's Gil Hans' stunning redesign of Pinehurst Number 4. You can grab a couple wedges, take a loop around the cradle. That's the fun short course, of course. Unwind at the Pinehurst Brewing Company for craft beers, classic North Carolina barbecue. If the Tar Heels had lost on Wednesday, Adam was going to divert the trip home straight to the Pinehurst Brewing Company. It's just down the hill from the fully renovated Manor Inn. There's never been a better time at the cradle of American golf than right now. Go to Pinehurst.com and plan your visit. I almost had time to get there while waiting for the stairs. Yeah. the to- Oh, by the what way. What a trip. Yeah. I have a vacation from life from the Notre Dame trip. Uh, there was a serious injury on the Tar Heel Sports Network crew. Legit. We'll talk about, we can talk about that as well. What a show we have. Even without like a sit down guest. What a show. You know what it makes me think, Jones? It makes me think maybe there should be no show on Tuesday. Well, I've got bad news. If you were just right on the edge of your seat for Pod 501, it's not coming till next Friday. With the Tar Heels playing late on Monday on the road, we're just uh, the the schedule doesn't work out to have a pod on Tuesday, unfortunately. So um, we'll have the pod today. And then we'll be back with you next Friday for the next edition. So Adam gets his wish. Yes. No pod on Tuesday. Half pod if the Tar Heels beat Virginia? Maybe. Let's let's just see what happens. Let's see what happens. Pod 500.5. Yeah, let's see what happens. You can't plan those things out. They're much better on the spur of the moment. We're all giddy that the Tar Heels have gotten a 51-49 win. (laughs) Well... Well, did they play four overtimes? <laughs> well, here's the thing, Adam. Ever since we did that last half pod, the mojo hasn't been real good. That's true. Maybe we need another half pod to break. To the, make a hole. Yeah, to break the mojo. To get it moving back in the right direction. Yeah. Maybe the Tariels interpreted that as, do we only have to play oh, yeah, we only, halfway? Yeah. We only, no, that's not what I we mean, we we've seen it where they've only played like, the Wake Forest game. The right. Notre, they only played one half. Well, if you put the second half of Notre Dame and the second half of Wake Forest. What a team. Heels are balling, baby. Yeah. Um, so, all of that upcoming, why don't we just get to it? Adam, 63-59 was the final score on Wednesday night. I, I say this without, uh, like, I'm not trying to be mean or rude, but the first half was some of the worst basketball I think I've ever seen Carolina put out on the floor and I mean it's hard to look past just the pure shooting part of it where Carolina was five of 27 18 and a half percent and O of 11 from three my opinion from watching it happen Adam was that the Tar Heels and we talked about this on the air I thought like the first eight minutes or so Carolina was actually moving the ball well and getting good looks. They, they just weren't going in. And I think at some point, the lack of them going in 
eventually frustrated Carolina enough that it started bleeding over to other parts of the game. Hubert Davis in the postgame was not pleased with the the effort and the execution um, in the first half where he just he didn't feel like his team in a game where they needed to be all in he didn't feel like they were all in in the first half and again wise words of coach Williams everything looks better when the ball goes in the basket I, I do think some of your thoughts on the half are clouded by how poorly the Tar Heels shot now you can make the argument that if you're 0 for 9, for example, from three-point range, maybe you don't take that 10th or the 11th. But, Adam, I mean, you get to halftime in this game and you're down 27-19 against a Notre Dame team that had not played well in the first half. They only had 10 field goals, shot 31%. They got warm at the end of the half. They did make five three-pointers, which helped them to a 27-19 lead. Adam, I, that halftime, I I just don't, like, Carol, you, you're sitting there going, what is going on with Carolina basketball at that at that halftime? Like, what has happened? It's 27-19 to 19 against Notre Dame, and they just made five field goals, had no assist, and eight turnovers. Yeah, the eight turnovers and no assists and I understand it's hard to have assists when you aren't making baskets there were only five opportunities to have an assist yeah only five opportunities to have an assist but there were none some of the turnovers were just careless yeah Caleb Love who had some huge plays to help Carolina win this game like twice he just lost the ball out near midcourt like just dribbling had Pete Nance not started the game more or less on fire, especially in the context of this game, he was on fire. Yeah. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah. He had two field goals and five free throws. I mean, without that. That's like Wilt Chamberlain in Hershey, <laughs> Pennsylvania scoring 100 relative to this game. I, I really, what drove it home to me was when DeMarco Dunn hit the shot at the halftime buzzer. And as the officials were reviewing it, I was just hanging on every moment. It seemed so incredibly critical. These two points. Yeah. Because I didn't know how many two points the Tar Heels were going to get. Don't take away my two points. <laughs> but then they showed. May I have these two <laughs> points, please? They showed the replay on the video board and the crowd of 800 went nuts because it became obvious that DeMarco had not gotten the shot off in time because, of course, he hadn't, because it went in, so you knew something was off. And it, it had just left his fingertips a, a millisecond after the red light came on, and it was so deflating. Like, ah, those two points don't count? We have, we have to get all the points we're going to get in the second half plus make up for those two points? Who do you think we are, the Harlem Globetrotters? It, 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 I do, what you said is right. Like the first six, eight minutes, it felt like the key was in the ignition and you were turning it and it just wasn't turning over, but it was revving. Yeah. But then after that, it was like everybody just looked at each other and was like, guys, this, this has not been good at all. None of this has been good. 
teammate A, you haven't been good. B, you haven't been good. I haven't been good. Now, Pete Nance wouldn't have said that because he was good. None of us have been good. And you know what? The team we're playing, they're not good. No. And they're playing poorly. I was a fortunate opponent for the Tar Heels in the first 20 minutes. Oh, man. Wow. If that had been Miami, yeah, we're looking at like Miami throwing the ball off the backboard to dunk it in front of LeBron James type stuff. Yeah. But there was halftime. Yeah, I was about. Yeah, this this play has two acts. What about the play in the first half when was it Nate Lashevsky guarding Armando Baycott and he fell, and he fell down. down and the Charles didn't pass it to him and Armando Baycott was wide open under the basket with his man laying on the hardwood and the Charles couldn't get the ball to him and instead do you know what they did they shot a three yeah and. You already know what happened because Jones told you the Tarles didn't make a three in the first half. It missed. So, if you had left that intermission, you'd have been pretty down. The Tarles came out and looked much better in the second half. R.J. Davis provided the spark right at the beginning of the second half. Got just took the ball away from Marcus Hammond twice. One that set up a layup for RJ, one that set up an open three pointer for Caleb Love, one of the two that went in in the 23 attempts for 8.7%. And Carolina got back into the game. So that was good to see. And Adam, it was not great. But the Tar Heels played much better in the second half. They made some important plays. Yeah, Caleb Love had a huge steal and uh, finish late in the game. He made four big free throws down the stretch. Tar Heels executed nicely and fouling down the stretch um, to when they were up three to make Notre Dame go to the free throw line. Tar Heels drew up a great baseline underneath, inbounds play. Leaky Black just somehow got pinned underneath the rim as he went up to try and dunk it, but somehow the luck of the night, it reset the shot clock and the ball went out of bounds off Notre Dame. What if that was the play? Yeah. You should ask Hugo Davis yeah. that at the radio show. Coach, I'm assuming the play was for Leakey to jump up, tap the ball against the rim yeah. to reset the shot clock so that you guys then to, would get the shot clock turned off and then bounce the ball off of Notre Dame out of bounds. Correct. That's the play. Yeah. We practiced that, guys. Uh, it, the the re I mean Carolina's ability to just dominate the glass was the biggest factor in the game. The Tar Heels had fifty two rebounds to just thirty three for Notre Dame. Now, granted, there's a lot of rebounds available, um, but they had twenty three offensive rebounds, twenty three second chance points, uh, and that was a huge a huge factor in this game. Carolina only having one turnover in the second half. I mean, Notre Dame forces no, – literally, Notre Dame is next to last in the nation in forcing turnovers at like eight and a half per game. And the Tar Heels at eight at halftime. And then they only had one in the second half. So – and thanks to Pete Nance's ability to pass the ball in the post, the Tar Heels were able to get the ball to Armando Baycott in the second half much more effectively – he was able to score. He got to the. He had a couple and one opportunities. 
Uh, Caleb Love hit some big baskets. I mentioned that. I mean, so Adam, the, the Tar Heels looked more like the team that they can be in the second half. One perfect, but they looked a lot better. Uh, they had to win. They got the win. That's the most important thing. Uh, we, I feel like we've said this a couple times. I mean, and the, the offensive struggles are reaching a historic level here for the Tar Heels. Um, right now, and Jody Zoigner, our statistician wizard, uh, sent us this. The Tar Heels are now below 30% for the year from three-point range. In the history of the ACC, 13 teams have done that. And none of the previous 13 have attempted as many per game than the Tar Heels have. None. So basically, no other ACC team has shot more threes while shooting a worse percentage. But at, And so that's obviously very, very sobering to hear. Here's the wild part. And not unexpectedly, those 13 teams who in ACC history have shot below 30% for the season from three-point range are collective 63 and 144 in ACC action. Only one of them had a 500 or better conference record. That was Clemson in 1990 with uh, Campbell and Dale, El- Elton Campbell and Dale Davis, Twin Towers down there. Remember those guys? Remember those guys? Uh, so, Adam, I say all of that and that terrific research by Jody Zuigner, our statistician wizard, to tell you that somehow the Tar Heels, keep in mind what I'm about to say, in relation to this stat, are overachieving in relation to this stat. <laughs> I don't know how much longer they can do it, Adam. And, it, and again, it doesn't boil down to one thing. But it's incredible to me. They were 2 of 23 from three-point range and won the game. Obviously not something you can count on on a game-to-game basis. It's not like shooting 35% from three is some incredible achievement of marksmanship, but that's the line for this team. Like When they shoot 35%, they've won every game from three, seven and zero. Oh. But here's the problem. It's only happened seven times. Like when I say when they shoot 35% from three, here's their record, you expect like 12 and two. No, it's only happened seven times. And there have been a lot of games at this point in the year. I, I don't know. I really don't know if the answer is to take fewer. It certainly seems that's the answer. But the Tar Heels weren't great from two against Notre Dame either because a lot of those 23 offensive rebounds were rebounds of shots that were within four feet of the basket that they didn't make. I kind of think of them as like Meeks rebounds <laughs> where he would like miss three in a row but get all the rebounds and then score. The Tar Heels had some of those. It's just, it's incredible the way it's infected the entire team. Like that, that to me is the amazing thing because I think you've got enough candidates that you would think at least one 
would and I and thankfully Wednesday night it was Caleb Love making something like thirty three percent from three Jones? Is he a robot? Is that Reggie Miller out there? <laughs> He's looking good. How does he do it? Passes to the man. <laughs> so and that kind of I mean that lends itself to another thing from the game, which was Notre Dame's bench outscored Carolina's twenty three to two. Yes. As we've discussed and we discussed earlier this week, a lot of folks want Hubert Davis to play the bench more. And I think there is a discussion to be had about, sure, I mean, that discussion is there. But in the moment, Adam, I mean, the two guys off the bench who played the most were Puff Johnson and DeMarco Dunn. They played a combined 22 minutes. And they were one of nine from the field and zero of seven from three. And and I'm not just and again, it we're not singling those guys out. They're not the only ones, but it's just th- that's an example of what happened on Wednesday night. And the stat sheet doesn't tell the whole tale of some of the miscues right. that were frustrating to the coaching staff, which may inhibit some of their playing time in the future. And but it also doesn't tell the tale. I think by the time you hear this, maybe everybody knows this. I, Puff Johnson had some issues he was dealing with in that game. So, but that not the previous two games when the Tar Heel bench also hadn't been super effective. I, I don't know. I don't know if the answer is to play different individuals. We saw Jalen Washington for a brief cameo. We saw Tyler Nickel for a brief cameo. Oh, that reminds me. I've got an outstanding cameo on cameo.com slash Jones Angel <laughs> that I need to take care of. Uh, is it for Tyler Nickel? Uh, no. Uh, Adam, actually, this is a crazy one. Hmm. Those are the best kind. It's a, bi- it's a business-related one. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Cha-ching. I like the business ones. Um, we saw Seth Trimble for a bit. Just need some kind of contribution. Like because, because here's the thing. You can't take the guys who are shooting two for 23 off the floor if you don't feel good about putting someone else in. And right now, I, I don't know that you do. I don't know how the Tar Heels won that game. The more I think about it, the more incredible it is. Thank goodness it was Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to the rebounds, right? I mean, because Baycott had 11... Nance had 10. Leaky Black had 11. Leaky Black has really, he has now 64 rebounds in the last seven games for Carolina. I mean, he entered that game top 10 in the league in rebounds. Leaky Black did. And I said this on Tuesday, and Leaky did not shoot well in this game. Nobody shot well. He was 2 of 11. But I thought he was really important in this game. He got a bunch bunch of rebounds, played good defense. Um, He... Again, he shot very poorly, but I do feel like he has been impacting the game in a positive way for Carolina, and that continued on Wednesday night. Can I say one thing about sure, Leaky? Of course. The no, Adam, you may not. I've been thinking more about that play at the end of the game where the Tarios gave Leaky Black the ball at the top, which people seem weirdly mad about. Well, here's the thing: the thing everyone's been complaining about is that when Leaky is standing in the corner, the other team doesn't guard him. You can't sag off him when he has the ball. If he's got the ball at the top, and more often than not, the guy guarding him is smaller than him. I mean, that play largely worked. On the one hand, Notre Dame did a good job of defending what Carolina was trying to do. 
And then when the Tar Heels couldn't do it, then option like maybe three or four was Leaky, take your guy. Well, Leaky, take your guy is not a bad option when Leaky's guy is not the same size as Leaky, which he almost never is. Yeah. And he got darn near a layup. He just didn't, yeah, he just didn't execute the shot part of it very well. I think I disagree with people who have been all angry since I called the play that they never want to see that again. I think I might want to see that more. I think I like that better with Leaky at the top, Caleb and RJ on the sides, and Armando under the basket where they're having to guard him because they're having to guard Leaky out top. I, I think I might want to see that more. And since we're talking about individuals, I'm going to at least mention Pete Nance because Pete Nance has been taking a lot of heat for his his difficult play, and he has not played well. I mean, that's he hasn't played well the last like six weeks. He just hasn't. I do think the last several games, Pete Nance has played much better. He's just not shooting well. And, and I mean, it really, to me, comes down to that for him. I mean, he was 3 of 12 in this game, which isn't good. 0 of 3 from 3. And I at least two of the three threes were wide open looks. And those just aren't going down. But he did have 11 rebounds, including five offensive rebounds. He had five assists. He is the... He has been the most comfortable player for Carolina throwing passes to Armando Baycott, even if they're difficult passes to get Baycott looks in the post. And so, no, Pete Nance is not shooting well at all, particularly from three. I do feel like in the last couple games, he has been able to recalibrate himself some to help in other ways. Now, that's still, I mean, and that's good. It's still there's still the issue of Carolina's ability to put the ball in the basket that is going to be ultimately the the question that has to be answered or will be the defining characteristic of this season one way or the other. Uh, oh, you mentioned the three or we were talking about three point shooting, and you talked about it permeating throughout the team. I mean, so Adam, you referenced it. I mean, you talked about this recently. The, the R.J. Davis re-injuring his finger in the Syracuse game, which I do, we talked about it at the time, and I do think it's been a big deal. Since then, he is 9 of 46 from three. That's 19.5%. Pete Nance in the last 10 games is 6 of 32 from three-point range. Puff Johnson, smaller sample size because he hasn't, he's been injured some, is working his way back into the lineup more consistently last uh, three games, zero of ten from three point range. So I mean, and and particularly Johnson and Nance, they're at the same position most of the time. So that position is six of forty two from three point range here recently. And remember, before R.J. Davis hurt his finger, he was literally shooting right around 50% from three in a 10 or 11 game span. So it is a challenge and it, it is a challenge right now for Carolina. Now, the good news is, and this is, I think, Adam, the ultimate question. Can you still there? And I bet there's going to be, a, there's going to be another Clemson performance in there somewhere where the Tar Heels hit a bunch of threes and that's going to be great. But I think it's also at this point, Heaven forbid, if we hadn't understood it by now, that's not the Tar Heels this year. 
They've got to do three things. They've got to get some easy baskets in transition. They've got to get to the free throw line, and they've got to offensive rebound. They just have to do those three things. If they do those three things, they can compete with anybody. They can win games. They can be a team to be reckoned with. But if those three things aren't there, then it's going to be a lot of what we've seen because I think it's got to be all three of them because I think it's got to be those three things combined to make up offensively for the lack of ability to make uh, shots on a consistent basis. The defensive thing is really perplexing because when the Tar Heels have done it well, you easily see the impact it has on the game. Like, oh, the Tar Heels are going to try on defense for the first four minutes of the second half. Boom. They were behind. Now they're ahead. They're better than Notre Dame. But being able to duplicate that effort for a full 40 minutes has been an incredible challenge. I mean, even in the Notre Dame game, big play with a couple minutes left where the Tar Heels just don't box out at all. Just stand there. Notre Dame had cleared out the four players that didn't shoot the ball ran down to go play defense. The one guy who shot the ball, there was not a box out on him, and he just went in and got the rebound and laid it up. And it went from, that would have been a four-point game, you get a stop, you're going to have the ball up four. And instead, it's a two-point game at that point in time. And that's the second time in the last two games where it's been a one- or two-possession game, and there's just a perplexing breakdown of... I mean, I'm sure it's not effort. I, they are trying, but it it looks like the other team has just got more intensity at that moment, which the moments don't get any bigger. Like, this isn't like the 1998 Tar Heels that are clearly number one in the country and take the day off against NC State at the Smith Center. This is the Tar Heels must win every single game between now and Greensboro to have a chance to go to the NCAA tournament You've got to do it for all 40 minutes. There is no other option. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. It, sometimes it just doesn't look like – it looks like it's a lot of work. Like that after the first eight minutes in South Bend, it just looked like it was a lot of work. But against Clemson, it was fun. Why was that? Because the shots were going in. Yeah. So, Adam, that now brings up Virginia on Saturday. Our preview of the Cavaliers brought to you by CR Legal Team. They stand up for you, proud partner of Carolina Athletics. And a, a little bit stunningly, Virginia is coming off just an absolute stinker of a performance against a team that I heard somewhere might be one to be reckoned with uh, once Quentin Post was back. Not, I don't think it was ever claimed that they would be the best team in the league. No. But it was claimed that they were a team that was going to be a difficult out. And that's Boston College. It was at BC. And BC won that game by 15 on Wednesday night against Virginia, 63-48. I mean, the numbers in this game, talk about aberrations from what you know of Virginia. BC shot 52% in the game. BC against Virginia. They were 26 of 50, talking about the Eagles. Meanwhile, Virginia uh, was only 8 of 29 in the first half and shot just 32% for the game. Boston College out-rebounded Virginia. BC had 14 assists on 26 field goals. So 
They had 34 points in the paint. Talking about BC. So, Adam, I bring all of that up to say Virginia's going to be frustrated. And you're going to get – not that you wouldn't normally when because Virginia loves playing against Carolina, but you're going to get their best shot. And they've got – I don't think it's – I don't think it's an overstatement to say probably the most accomplished coach at this point in the league in Tony Bennett. I guess maybe – I mean – Bayheim has a champion has one championship as well. So I mean, and we know that due to his tenure, he and Larry Naga and, and Leonard Hamilton are guys, of course, that have a bunch of wins. But they've got one of, if not the best coach in the league as far as current resume. They're gonna be mad. They are a good team. So I bring all of that up to say Carolina's got to play really well. Now, also having said that, the Tariels probably should have beat Virginia the first time they played them, and they didn't have Baycott in the game. So Adam, it's a game that Tariels can win. <laughs> but if they have a half like they did in the first half against Notre Dame, against Virginia, it could be 25 to 8 or something at halftime. 32 to 8. I mean, I'm serious. So they've got to play better than they did in that half, of course. But, but Adam, then you get this other thing where it's like, well, what if the second half Tariels show up? What if the second half against Wake Forest shows up? What if the Clemson game shows up? And again, aberration, I think, from three-point range. But what if that happens? Then I think the Tar Heels can, I would say, oh, yeah, they can win this game, especially at home. So, but you can't, you, there's not a, there's three games left. Even Florida State on the road. You can't survive that first half that Carolina had against Notre Dame against anybody else the rest of the way. I'm not sure the BC game was entirely an aberration because here's Virginia's games the last 10 days. They beat Louisville, awful team, by three. They beat Notre Dame in Charlottesville, not a good team, by two. And they lost to Boston College. Jones has picked click by 15. At BC, not the most harsh environment. They haven't played very well. In the last 10 days, they got the, the game before that was the win over Duke that they were gifted. I, I do think Virginia is good, but I think everyone's kind of decided, oh, Virginia, far and away, best team in the ACC, obviously. I, I don't think so. I think Miami is the best team in the ACC. Here's the, the tricky part for the Tar Heels. The Tar Heels need to win the game, but then need Virginia to win all their other games Virginia lost to BC and fell six spots in the net. They're at 21. 30 is the cutoff for a quad one win. So if Carolina wins this game, Virginia will drop some more. They can't drop any more after that because they have to be quad one for Carolina's purposes, which kind of emphasizes how stupid this all is. Yeah. But Carolina's got to have a quad one win. That's the easy thing to point to when you're Joe Lenardi on TV during the middle of a basketball game talking, as he often does, oh, they haven't won a quad one game. They have to win this one. This this is the one you have to win. Virginia is not a great shooting team. They will make you turn it over, and you know it's going to be a low-possession game. So you can't take possessions off. Every single possession has got to be incredibly important. And you've got to set every screen and make every cut like it really, really, really matters. 
because it does. You're not going to get many chances in this game. And you're not going to win it just bombing away from three. Uh, just go out there and take 33s. That'll probably beat them. That won't beat them. Ben Vanderplas had the big game last time these two teams played. Also, that rascal Isaac McNeely hit some big three-pointers off the bench for him last time these two teams played. Remember, Carolina was up like eight in the second half without Baycott. So, well, got a great contribution from Jalen Washington in the first half, who then, understandably, tired in the second half. Adam, anything else on Tar Heel hoops? No. All right. Okay. Oh, hey, if you're going to the Virginia game, watch out for that window world hero of the game. Oh, that's right. Maybe a good friend of the pod will be honored for his incredible contributions to your life that you don't even know happened, but they have. I feel like a summertime pot appearance coming. I like that. I like that idea. Uh, okay. All right. Man, we got so much to do. What are we going to do here? <laughs> All right. Let's go to, we're going to go to our Julia Knower interview. That's the audio of the video pod interview from earlier in the week. Then we'll come back. Adam and I will talk some about the pod here on the 500th episode. Then we still have, oof, we still have, remember these guys? We still have a story time. We still have a vacation from life. We still have a major injury on the Tariel Sports Network. It's not me. Don't worry. I'm all right. <laughs> I am well protected at all times. Uh, unless my salivary gland gets blocked. Not, not much I can do about that. Or I get something stuck in my ear. Uh, we still have a five-second challenge, so there's still a ton to do. But let's get to our Julian Nowhere interview. We'll transition straight from that to uh, some pod talk here on the Carolina Insider. Look, we've told you this before, and we're going to tell you this again. Oh. In terms of home athletic events at Carolina... Home gymnastics meets one of the most fun things you can go to. Yeah. Jones has been telling you this for years. Today we've got a fast paced, good action, like stuff that I promise you can't do that they're doing <laughs> down there. So it's incredible to watch. It's awesome. So you've heard it from a pseudo expert. Yes. But today we've got Julia Noer, an actual expert who's here <laughs> to explain to us why we've been right all these years. Right. Julia, thanks so much for being with us. Of course. Glad to be here. Tar Heel Gymnast coming off an incredibly busy weekend with two meets in three days, but also a very successful weekend. How did you feel like the weekend went overall? So definitely was great experience having two meets in three days. We were talking about uh, going into it that this is a great kind of mimicry of what the regionals is mm. going to be like because for gymnastics, regionals is two days and you get one break in between. So kind of going in lighthearted, ready to gather information, gain some new experience. Um, so, yeah, it was a great weekend. All right. Tell us a little bit about the team this year. If folks haven't been paying close enough attention, which they should be, <laughs> tell us a little bit about what's been going on. It's been a great season so far. Right. So uh, 
this has been a really breakout season for us this year. Last year, uh, we had was the first year for our head coach, mm -hmm. Coach Dana Durante. Um, so going into this season, kind of having you know, upping the bar, raising the expectations a little bit, and um, we've definitely met that for our coach. Um, still room to climb, still room to grow, of course. But uh, for our home meets, I'm pretty sure we broke in a 196, which is a big deal in the gymnastics world, <laughs> to clarify. I know scores can sometimes go over people's head. But um, all of our home meets so far, we've broken a 196. And for our away meets, we count three scores for all of our away meets. Right. That's how we basically are... Um, that's how we know our ranking going into the postseason. So it's very important, away scores, um, which is also why this weekend was very, very important to us because we were away and we needed to get those higher away team scores. Um, and we got a, I think, a high 195 at our first meet. Uh, or we got a high 195 yesterday, actually. And then um, on, when did we compete? Friday, Friday. Um, I'm pretty sure we got like one of our highest bar scores. Um, oh, also shout out <laughs> our, our team's bars. I mean, I don't mean to, to brag, but our team's bars is pretty rocking this year. That's nice. all I'm going to say. I think we've broken a 49 almost every single time we've uh, gone out there and competed. Okay. Okay. I have a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, I, I feel like gymnastics is as hard on your body, like just straight physically as mm -hmm. any athletic competition. I know every athletic competition is difficult. Yes. But it feels like it's so hard on your body. How, how do you manage just your right. physical, the way you feel through right. a long season? Right. So definitely prioritizing sleep, first yeah. of all. <laughs> but also um, in gymnastics, it's really um, usual to like tape. Like I tape both my ankles. Because like you said, gymnastics is a really hard impact sport. Even yeah. though it's not like impact with another team or another person, when we land those landings, like it's really hard on the knees, the ankles, the back. Um, so prioritizing rest and recovery for sure. Um, after home meets, we are required to go in the cold tub right after. So we wake up the next day, you know, not too sore because we compete every single weekend for 10 weeks in a row. You know, that's, that can be a lot, especially with double meet weekends, traveling, like that's a lot. So uh, prioritizing that at home, but also away, uh, we always make sure to have a room in a hotel where treatments can be set up for us. You know, our coach really puts it as a priority. We always have time for um, the recovery aspect. Um, so, yeah, but I, that is one thing I think a lot of people don't really understand about gymnastics because, you know, it looks really easy because that's our job. And um, people don't think about, you know, when you land – especially during a floor routine, mm -hmm. um, just the impact that takes on your body. So, yeah. Only a true expert like Jens. We'll yeah, no, I know. Trust me, I live the gymnastics <laughs> yeah. life and all about it. Um, you mentioned how good the Tar Heels are on the bars. You're really good on floor. I like floor because it's a good mix of mm. stuff I can't do and personality. <laughs> I like how the whole team does the routine yes, with you. I yes. like that whole thing. Why are you so good on floor? So... I think going into my sophomore year, I kind of really encompassed the idea of like showing who I am through my routines. Um, and this year, I picked my music. I don't know if you noticed, it's ACDC, Pink oh, Floyd. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I have to say, I have an old soul. I love 
uh, 80s music. So I was like, you know, this really encompasses who I am. So when I go out and perform, I'm going to show people who I am, show them a little bit of my personality. Because sure. it's the only event that you really have the opportunity to do that. So I just say, like, I really like to go out there and give a show, give a performance, because that's what it's all about, you know? People come to watch, and I'm just out there having fun, so. How do you, so there's so much preparation for such a short amount of time in which yes. you are actually competing. Yes. Like a vault only takes a couple <laughs> seconds. Yeah. So w when you're in that moment, and it is such a short amount of time mm -hmm. that you're competing, how do you lean back on your training, I guess? Like, how, how does all that work where you have so much time that's put in for such a short amount of payoff? Right. Well, when it comes down to it, the only word that comes to my mind is trust. Like, you have to trust that you know how to do it. You've done those reps so many times, like you said, in the gym. Like, when we go and compete, it's one routine, but, you know, in practice, it's, you know, five to six, right. you know? We're doing that. We're training, breaking it down, doing drills, all of that. For you're right, those three seconds that we go out and compete. So honestly, when I go out there and I raise my hands and I salute, I just kind of fall back on trusting that I've put in the work. You know, I've done everything I can do leading up to this moment. I know my team believes in me. I believe in myself. So just going to enjoy these next three seconds to give it everything <laughs> I got, really. You mentioned this past weekend, a lot of travel, a lot of right. time on a bus. Yes. Who is the best person to sit next to if you're on the gymnastics road trip? Mm. If you sit next to this person, you know it's going to be fun, <laughs> but also they're not going to bother you the whole mm -hmm. time. Like, who's the best travel mate when you're on a long road trip like that? All right, I have to say uh, J.D. Schreeder. She's in my class. We've been roommates since freshman year, so I have to say she's always cracking jokes. She is definitely the funniest on the team, like for sure. If you hear anybody say anything and everybody's laughing, you know Jay said it. Like you just already know. She sat by me on the bus uh, most of the time, and when she wasn't, I got up and went and sat by her. <laughs> you know, I think uh, over the past four days, we spent about 20 hours on a bus. Yeah, long time. So, you know, <laughs> I really leaned on her to lighten the mood when it needed to be lightened. All right, favorite. No, we talked about floor already. Let me say yeah. this. What's your least favorite of it? What's the one that just naturally is the hardest for you to get into? I'd say bars. Really? Yeah. How come? I don't know. Ever since I uh, competed in high school when I was in club, bars just never was my thing. When you think about it, in the gymnastics perspective, it is the one event that is so different from the rest. Like, there's some similarities between vault, uh, beam, and floor, but when it comes to bars, it's like a whole different rodeo. Like, it is so different. And it took me a long time to really, like, adjust to that. And I feel like it's only when I came into college and got my bar coach, Amelia Hunley, she's the best really the best. She completely changed my mindset on bars and I've definitely gotten better at it, but it's still it's still so different than the other three. So it's definitely when you get to that event and it's time to compete, you it whole different mindset going into that. Is what's different about it the strength that's needed or just the I mean I can understand yeah. that you're not doing as many yeah. like flips. But. Yeah. I would definitely say strength aspect. Because when I think of the other three events, it's mostly legs, you know, right. vault you're running, floor complete endurance beam you got to make sure your legs and your core are tight but bars it's all your arms shoulders all grip strength um and it's just like i go into all my other events thinking you know strong legs you know tight core but when i go to bars i'm like all right my arms they got to be working you know like because you're always upside down always using them so i would say that for sure good stuff from julia Noer and
that video pod interview, plus we're, what we're about to talk about, is going to take place of the interview segment today. And, of course, that's brought to you by Independent Insurance Agents of North Carolina. Texting while driving takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. And at highway speeds, that's like driving the length of a football field with your eyes closed. Trusted Choice Independent Insurance Agents of North Carolina need you to stay safe behind that wheel. So put down your phone while you're driving and let's have a hands-free NC. To learn more and find an agent near you, visit trustedchoice.com slash heels. Of course, we're going to have a five-second challenge coming up uh, in just a minute. But Adam, what we thought we would do, oh, we also have to preview the weekend coming up soon as well. Uh, Adam, what we thought we would do here for the 500th episode is just talk a little bit about the pod and the journey of the pod. And again, we're going to play, I think I'm going to play the pod 200 song and the pod 300 just to remind us of some of the hilarious things in the past for the pod. Uh, but Adam, 500 episodes is crazy. Uh, obviously, you and I have both enjoyed it, uh, doing it tremendously. We appreciate everybody who has listened, built this uh, really fun uh, Tar Heel fan base, even at the Notre Dame game. I mean, we had several people come up and talk about how much they enjoyed listening and I want to be, we're not, I'm not trying to say this to be like, oh, we're awesome. Everything's awesome. I'm just talking about what a nice community that has been built uh, around interest and love of the Tar Heels. Yeah, it's nice that you've included us because you are going to love and enjoy the Tar Heels no matter what. And you let us be a, a kind of weird part of that. And I was going to say the same thing, like being at Notre Dame really drove it home. You're, you're kind of in the middle of nowhere there in South Bend, Indiana. And we had lots of nice folks come up and, Take arms, cross pictures. Happy birthday, Maddie. Yeah, that's right. 16th birthday for Maddie. Yeah. Um, I told, we talked to Maddie. She had, we said, you got to give all the positive 16th birthday energy to the Tar Heels. So I think she did that. She probably wasn't sure that she wanted to do it. And then she watched that first half. She was like, dad, I better do this. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to. Okay, I've changed my mind. I thought I wanted a car. Now I just want a three-pointer to go in. That's all I want. Um. But lots of folks who said hello, and it's been really fun. And I went back and listened to the first episode. And one thing I'd really forgotten, I, I think this is the honest truth. I had listened to about two podcasts. I'm talking about episodes, not like I was a regular listener to two podcasts. Right. Two podcast episodes in my life prior to when we did the one. And one of those was right before we did it so that I could know what it was. Mm. I mean, like that. That, and that was only a few years ago, but now they're just a ubiquitous part of our life. Yeah, Adam and I were talking a little bit about just kind of some key markers we thought in the journey of the show. And Adam, I do think, as silly as it is, I think the Tar Heels going to the Sun Bowl uh, in that season uh, changed the, the tenor of the show a little bit because... Quite honestly, we weren't super excited about the Tar Heels going to the Sun Bowl and going to El Paso, and so we started having fun with it, and I think that made us realize that we didn't have to be so serious all the time. Yes, El Paso really, really rocks. People enjoyed kind of seeing it through our eyes in that way, different than just like, all right, the offensive line for the Tar Heels against the defensive line from Stanford. Right. Here are the matchups. And instead, we drove around El Paso and that you know that's never that never hit the air no. adam and i drove around el paso and had a microphone like had a like a recorder on just in the car and just kind of like talked about things as we drove around 
Not sure it was any good. <laughs> but it never, never saw the air. Sorry about that. One of several things that oh, has yeah. never seen the air. And, and I'm not even sure. I don't even think I still have that one. That's not even one that can be brought back out for the final pod. Well, it was probably recorded on an eight track. <laughs> That's right. We actually had someone cranking a wheel in the back to keep the recorder going. I think it was a nice mix of that plus the Tariels win the NCAA title in the very first year of the pod. Yeah, that was good. Which gave us something to all enjoy together and follow. And it's been a nice mix of those types of wins with that type of kind of off the wall, weird stuff that's still somehow Tar Heel related. And everybody has related to that, which we appreciate because if not, we would have done five episodes instead of 500. A uh, couple of key things, too. Of course, the See you Later Big Grit story. Yep. Which that, was in that run to the that title. That was in the run to the title. We even talked to Katrina on the show. You all sit up at the front table, and y'all was joking, and he, he gave me my order. His order, he was like, uh, can he have his eggs and his bacon, and can he have a, a grits? And uh, he was like, he don't want a little grits, he want a big grits. And I was like, okay, I got you. By the time y'all had y'all laughing at the table and everything, and by the time you all got up to get ready to leave, and I uh, brought the check out, and I was like, see you later, big grit. And everybody just started laughing, and I was like, oh, I didn't know I had made a name for him or nothing like that. <laughs> But it made me, you know, it made me laugh because y'all was laughing. Say, so, well, now every time he get called Big Grits, he know who to think about. I remember calling Katrina and telling her we wanted to be on the pod, and she was like, what? <laughs> She's like, You're, you want to order what? <laughs> I don't have that on the on the menu. And then, Adam, I think, uh, and we also, you know, we had some terrific guests on early on. I mean, we talked to Marcus Page early. We talked to Eric Church in uh, January of 2017. I do feel like, Adam, the two interviews, Dick Bedore in April of 2018 and then Matt Doherty in September of 2018 uh, changed things a little bit on the interview game because those were both uh, very uh, open discussions with both of those guys and touched on some topics that were I think known around Carolina, but you didn't really know a lot of the details about them. And I think we got maybe more details than we expected in talking to both of them and realized that we might be able to have some cool interviews on the show. Not that again, not that the ones before weren't, but I think we also, we then realized that maybe, Hey, we could do some things that aren't quite as comfortable as being like Marcus page. You're an awesome basketball player. Tell us about that. Uh, and still be able to have, good conversation about it and i think we were figuring out more about the format yeah that's true that, that those types of interviews would work and that people would actually listen to a two-part matt doherty interview that was over an hour i'm thinking just oh, easily, just the yeah. q a part um and that it was a productive way to have those conversations and that people liked having them with us because they knew we wouldn't like cut out some stuff and just use snippets they could get everything they wanted out onto the table and I think that helped and that it's been fun to hear people in that way. Cause a lot of times these days you don't hear people, you hear them like 30 seconds at a time. And so to be able to hear Dick Bedore for 45 minutes, talk about all the incredible stuff that happened while he was athletic director is just not an opportunity you get unless you go to lunch with Dick Bedore. I got Frank Beamer's agent's name from Dave brain in those conversations. Um, this was my plan. This is what I said. I want us to set a date. And, and I'm going to pick a date. I don't remember what it was. And you can, we can alter that. You tell me now if you like the date or you don't like the date. You talk with, with Coach Beamer. 
And so let's let's talk about all the details. What you care about, what North Carolina cares about, let's put it all out on the table. Let's just call it a hodgepodge of information, contract stuff, whatever. And then when that date arrives, no jobs have been offered, no jobs have been accepted. But after that date, if you say you're still interested, then that means North Carolina is going to like 95% offer you. And Frank Beamer is like 95% going to accept. Hmm. Okay. So that date, we reached that date. And um, and, and I'm ready to go. And the information back to me is that um, that he's ready to go. He's, re- he's, he's declaring. Not 95%. 100%. And so now I'm telling a story that I really haven't told publicly. I, and I say that's 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 great, but uh, I really want him to tell somebody else other than me. I want, I want him to tell another official at the University of North Carolina. So now nothing's public at this point. Sure. And so that declaration occurs. And so then we set up the plan that he will come in here after his last ball game, and uh, and we will meet. The contract will be done. His agent, this is what happened. His agent uh, came. The university attorney was there. He came with his wife. We showed him around a little bit, had all the documents there, ready to go. And he says... I'm troubled by one point, and that is that, oh, by the way, um, and I'm not exaggerating this, he had picked, they had picked out their seats in the Smith Center where they wanted to sit in basketball. He said, can, can we get seats in the Smith Center? I was like, yeah, coach. And so he said, I'm uncomfortable signing this contract without having told my players that that doesn't feel right to me. And I thought it was a good point. And I said, okay, coach, I understand that. <laughs> but in front of your wife, in front of your agent, in front of the university attorney, let's shake hands and say this is a done deal. And he shook my hand and said this is a done deal. There was an odd moment um, in August. And I... Uh, was going to the um, what's the uh, dining facility or the alumni facility that's right across from uh, Carmichael uh, Auditorium Jim Carmichael uh, Arena dorm dorm oh Carmichael dorm oh the Carolina Club Carolina Club I'm walking in there behind Coach Smith and Coach Guthridge we have jackets and ties on and I'm pretty proud thinking these are the only living coaches that coach at North Carolina and uh, Coach Smith sits down Coach Guthrie sits down and as I get ready to sit down Coach Smith says to me you know you are the fifth choice don't you that wasn't a good feeling and I thought man maybe I should you know I can't go back to Notre Dame now um that wasn't 
the recruiting story I got a month before when it was your program, do it, see what you, you know, do what you, it's your program, do what you, uh, as you see fit. So at that moment, I knew, you know, and, and in the press conference, uh, he was quoted and he said something like, it feels like a funeral. Uh, that wasn't good. Um, so those were some signs <laughs> early on uh, that uh, Coach Smith wasn't happy. And, you know, you could say all you want that, you know, he wasn't the athletic director, but he ran the basketball program. Adam, then we entered the mobile pod mm. days. I have to say, Adam sent me a list of some of the guests that we had during the mobile pod. We were on fire, Adam. <laughs> and and a lot of these people like, did the interviews right by the urinals. Yeah. I mean, some of these, like, okay, we went to Atlanta. Remember and talked to George one. Lynch that and Melvin Scott while we were there? When I remember thinking while we were sitting there in the Clark University gym, like, we are sitting here with George Lynch and Eric Montrose. Yeah, because Eric, Eric uh, sat in with us on that interview. That was awesome. That was February 5th, 2019, if you missed that one the first time around. We played them in Hawaii, and they didn't have a press offense. It was, it was mind-boggling that Jalen Rose, who that best ball handler, would take the ball out of bounds every time. Yeah. So I said, Eric, you go back. Again, I'm freestyling because <laughs> I knew I could get back to Juwan if they pushed the ball up the court. And then I knew I was quick enough to stay in front of Chris Webber. So I told Derek, I said, Derek, you play in front of Chris Webber and I'll play behind. So when Jalen stepped back on the court, you can get back to, uh, to Jalen. And then me and Erica just switch when we get back down there. And that's, that's all it was. It was just a two-man press and it, it worked out for us. Do you have any uh, – I mean, and obviously – Just let me interrupt for just sure. a second. Like, that stuff on the fly, decision-making – I was about to say, I can't imagine that's <laughs> super easy to, no, to do. I mean, Not everybody's it, out there doing that. And I think the thing about it is that he – what he's saying, and obviously you got to have an, uh, that basketball IQ to think about those scenarios presenting themselves. Yeah. But he also knew that his team – was going to be able to react and that you we had played together for at that time over you know three, three years, years. Yeah. and so everybody that was on the court was either playing together for three or four years and we were playing a lot of minutes together so we all knew how to play off of one another and I think that's a lot of the magic that a lot of teams miss when they don't have that veteranship. Right. Adam another key interview I think was Kobe White February 19th 2019 and of course, everybody, first of all, everybody loved Kobe White, which you should. Kobe White's awesome. Uh, but remember, Kobe White had had some very challenging things in his personal life, primarily with his dad passing away. And he openly talked about that with us. And Adam, I think, probably for you and me, I think we then also realized that we could talk to players about things that weren't just what they were doing on the field or on the court or whatever, that you could have some really great conversations with them and that, and of course this varies from person to person about how comfortable they are, but that, um, that we had the format to do that. And we've been lucky that they've trusted us. I mean, I think the fact that they see us a little differently than Johnny on the street helps us a lot because they're willing to have those talks. But Kobe was so open and genuine with it and, just a, a nice person. He was the perfect one to kind of figure out, oh, we can talk about more than three-point percentage, which, I mean, these days is good. It was – it wasn't – I wouldn't say unexpected because he was sick for a long time. Right. Not a long time, but for a good amount of time. But uh, 
So we knew it was any moment coming, but whenever you really realize that he's going, you know, you get a lot, a lot of emotions running through your body, a lot of confusion, because um, it's like, why why me? Like, you know, why 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 you take my dad away from me? Sure. But, um, you know, I think that at first I wanted to question God, but uh, my mom was a strong, strong, you know, she strong believes in, in, in faith in God. So um, I said, you know, I follow her lead and, you know, I look up to her too. So she just, we started going to church every Sunday and, you know, slowly you start to realize like, you know, it was just, everybody has their time and, you know, I'd rather see him in heaven than, you know, suffering like he was like, you know, it was hard to see him like he was. It was got to a point where, you know, sometimes he couldn't remember who I was, couldn't right. remember who my mom was. So I was just, you know, I was happy that, I was happy that he's up there in heaven. I wasn't happy that he went out the way he did, but, um, you know, it was hard for me and my mom and my family. Um, only way that I figured I could deal with it is just through basketball and get my relationship stronger with God. How do you feel like it changed you, made you more mature, made you different? Do you feel like you're a different person now than, than then? Yeah, I definitely do. I think negatively and positively. Um, it's hard for me to open up to people now. I don't know why. It's just like with anyone, it's just sometimes it's hard for me to open up. Um, I get moody sometimes because I wish he was here. Sure. So I don't, some days I don't speak. Like, um, Luke and them always ask what's wrong with me, but I just don't like opening up. So I just be like, I'm straight. But um, sometimes I don't speak. Um, I'm quiet. I'm sheltered a little bit sometimes. Um, but the positive thing is I got my relationship stronger with God. Um, me and my mom has become a lot close. We was already really close, but we, I feel like we become a lot closer. And me and my siblings, we was really close. Like, they was like my best friend. They knew everything about me. And somehow I didn't know we would come closer, but we came closer through it all. Um, yeah, man, it's just, it's just it, it impacts you a lot of different ways that I didn't think it would impact me, you know, all the way down from walking down the street, you might feel like you see him and you know he's not there, but you know, right. can't sleep at night because you're having dreams about him, stuff like that. It affects you in a lot of ways, but I feel like I'm dealing with it better than I thought I would. Um, you just, sometimes you get confused and you just, you find yourself doing things that you, you know, you normally don't do. Like, you know, just sit up at night, just doing stuff that, just trying to keep your mind off of it, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like, just, sometimes I would not go to sleep because I knew I was gonna have a dream about him. Adam just wrote down, he just listed a couple of guests that we had in this time period. Man, we were, I mean, Ed Coda? Love the Ed Coda interview. March 26th, did that in our hotel room in Charlotte for the ACC tournament. Would you love to see that number five up there? Man, that number five needs to be up there. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know who's in charge, but I'm patient. It's Jets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm patiently waiting. You know, the fans feel like they should be retired. Like, I hear, I hear it all the time. It's amazing how much love I get, too. That's another thing. Like, because my four years, I always played to win and played for the fans. So, I love the appreciation I get from the fans. But, uh, yeah, whoever's in charge of putting that number up there, think about me, please. 1957 roundtable? How great was that? We actually, I mean, we ran that in April of 2019. We had recorded that in, like, February, mm -hmm. where we had Joe Quigg, Tommy Kearns, Lenny Rosenbluth with Adam and me talking about 57. How, I mean, like, and, of course, we know, you know, Mr. Rosenbluth has, has since passed away. Um, 
what a great opportunity it was to get a history lesson from those guys. Yeah, that's a legitimate piece of Carolina basketball history that I think 10 years from now I'll still hopefully be going back to listen to to think, let's hear it from, straight from those guys instead of some of us retelling it. The coach doesn't get you up for the ball game. You put on the uniform says North Carolina, you're ready to play. And this is the way we felt. And uh, coach was smart enough not to restrict us by having plays. I mean, as crazy as the Mounts seem, we, don't ha- we didn't have plays. Coach told us what he doesn't want us to do, like pass the ball in from the middle. And if you did it, he would go crazy in practice, right? And don't do this and don't do that. And we, we practiced a lot in the last two minutes of a game what to do. And uh, and that was important because at the last two minutes of the game, you're going to win or lose it. The first five minutes of the half, of the second half, if you don't come out ready to play and you, you're down by three, four points, all of a sudden you can be down by 10, 12 points. But this is, this is the important time that, that he felt. And playing the clock, I, I think, was his uh, his greatest thing. And again, not not restricting us. And we had we had a set... Three men under the basket, two men out. Tommy and Bobby in the backcourt, Pete, Joe, myself in there, and everything was interchangeable. And he he didn't uh, do X's and O's. I'll tell you, Coach was a genius at calling timeouts too. Oh, yeah. I mean, he yeah. he always did it at the at the precise time when the game was tr- changing or whatever. He had a uh, intuition about timeouts and and together. And uh, I'm digressing for a moment, but. When we were out in uh, Kansas City, we had beaten uh, Michigan State triple overtime, and I was in uh, in the lobby, and I uh, met a fellow named Jerry Tax, and Jerry was uh, uh, covering basketball for Sports Illustrated at the time. We sat down and talked, and uh, I think we were something like a nine or ten point underdog against Kansas, and uh, Jerry was uh, uh, telling me about uh, how it was impossible for us to beat uh, Wilt and uh, and Kansas. And to uh, to Lenny's point, uh, we uh, we had an air of arrogance about us that uh, we were not about to lose to uh, Wilt or Kansas, and we had, we were familiar with them because we had all played in the Catskills during the summer. So it was not as if we hadn't played against them or knew about them. So uh, we proved uh, Sports Illustrated and Jerry Tax wrong. <laughs> Take that, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah. yeah, McGuire was a great motivator also. You know, he could really get you up for a game, and it was always us against them. I can remember one time we were playing there during that year. We played uh, at Virginia and had a bad first half, and he got hold of Pete Brennan. He said, Brennan, I got the wrong Brennan here. He said, your dad <laughs> has 10 kids, works two jobs, and he's got more chops than you'll ever have in your life. And, hell, we grabbed every rebound in that second half. Virginia didn't have I'll a chance. It's, it's a little sinful, but we're playing up in uh, Winston-Salem, and our locker room is right next to Wake Forest's uh, uh, locker room. And Bones McKinney was a coach at Georgia Tech. And, and Coach McGuire, he said, he had some derogatory things to say about the Baptist and Boaz McKinney. It was, it was fabulous. Yeah. And we won the game. Uh, oh, I forgot one that we did early on, Freddie Kiger. We've had Freddie on twice, and both were great, but I think the first one in particular, and that was one of those two, Adam, where I think we started to realize that it didn't have to be a current player or a famous Tar Heel. Like, Freddie's famous in Chapel Hill. 
obviously, but that it could we could find people around Carolina that all have awesome stories too. Now, Freddie is, I mean, an extreme in his ability to tell stories, of course, but uh, I do think that was beneficial. And I think that was one of the first times we realized that even if people didn't automatically know that person's name, they would still give us a chance and listen. Yeah. We talked on the first episode about how... Did we? Hey, Adam, you're so... Yeah, we, we wouldn't talk to anyone that we weren't excited to talk to. And I think people have trusted us with that. Like, if we say we're excited to talk to them, then there's something there that you might like. And that's been the case. I've been so blessed to have a chance to have done so many things with so many wonderful people at so many wonderful events. But I'd have to think that in 1988, I had just been let go from the Tar Heel Sports Network. I'm a trivia question, by the way. Only the best on the Tar Heel Sports (laughs) Network, Freddie. Sorry, pal. I was, I know. I had been with the Tar Heel Sports Network for 10 years and had been on air with Woody for football for four seasons. So I'm the trivia question. Who was the Tar Heel Sports Network analyst before Mick Mixon? It's really all been downhill since then. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. But anyway, I worked with a bunch of people at WCHL, 5,000-watt radio station under Jim Hevner. Here are the people that I worked with for Countdown to Kickoff. Jim Lampley, who did okay. Mick Mixon, who did okay. Skip Foreman, who went on to be AP uh, writer and the head of the AP here in the area, Associated Press. Guy by the name of Dragan Mihaljevic, who's only now a 60 Minutes producer, who's won about 14 Emmys and counting. And then there was a skinny white boy from... Rural Hall, North Carolina, who Ron Stutz gave a chance to do some things, and Jim Hevner gave some chance to do things. Well, all that as a background, Dragan leaves the Tar Heel Sports Network, and because of his ability to speak Serbian, gets a Winter Olympic position when the Olympics were in Sarajevo in 84. He had been the researcher for opening and closing ceremonies. He was promoted to ABC Head of Research. In 1988, he needed a new researcher. I'll never forget, standing in my room at the house, at this time at Pritchard Avenue. Phone rings. It's Dragon. Hey, we're catching up. I need somebody to do research for the opening and closing ceremonies of the Winter Olympics. Will you do it? That was one of those moments where, scared to death, could I do that? I mean, am I capable of pulling that off? And I'm about to have a chance to do something that has been a lifelong dream. And then to be the researcher for Jim McKay, who at that time was the voice of the Olympics, and Peter Jennings, and I hung out with them for 30 days and was a part of conversations politically, economically, socially, that I had no business being a part of, but they took me in. That first lighting of the Olympic cauldron in McMahon Stadium for the opening ceremony, which was broadcast live, that was one of those moments when I thought, my gosh. Because as a kid growing up on Tobacco Road, I loved the summer games, but there was something exotic, something unusual about the winter games because there were all these funky sports 
luge and bobsled and alpine skiing that a kid from North Carolina couldn't relate to, but they were all in these little places like Grenoble and Innsbruck and St. Moritz. And I was fascinated by these pastoral little places in these little towns tucked away in Europe, and it just captured my imagination. So to be able to be there with those people, to be in that moment, <laughs> and the day before the opening ceremony, I had watched every Winter Olympic that Jim McKay had ever announced for because I wanted to know what he might think, what he said, what he might ask. And so the day before the opening ceremony, I went down to the floor of McMahon Stadium, and there was the cauldron that would be lit the next day. And I'm thinking... Yep, he might ask this question. And so I started running up the steps to the cauldron, counting them. I got to about 43, and there were 18 security people coming after me from every direction. <laughs> I get to the top, 50, I turn around, I'm coming down, I'm coming down, I'm coming down. Don't do that again. I'm so sorry, I just needed. We're in commercial break the next day. A little eighth grade girl is going to be the one selected to take the torch and go up the steps to light the cauldron. It's a 30 second break. I can see the stage manager counting us down. Eight, seven, six, five. McKay turns over his right shoulder and goes, I don't know why he did this, but he always called me Sir Fred. Sir Fred, how many steps to the cauldron? 50, Jim, 50. <laughs> Out it went to 40 million people. And I had this just wonderful feeling that I worked for one entire year for a two-and-a-half-hour show and maybe used 30%. But when McKay told my boss, so to speak, Dragan Mihaljevic, how did Fred do, he was perfect. I mean perfect. I could have died and gone straight to heaven. It was the most wonderful moment, and it was one of those moments that I realized as a little kid from rural North Carolina with two grandfathers who were tobacco farmers, and one of them could not read or write. I was standing with Peter Jennings and Jim McKay, and we were doing the opening ceremony of the greatest event around the globe. That was a pretty cool moment. Then, Adam, we finally move into here luxurious Pod World headquarters. Mm. We had some hot interviews right before COVID. Roy Cooper and Howard Lee, John Grisham. The governor came in here. They did. Remember how they had to do the yeah, security sweep? Yeah, they had to do the security sweep. They tackled Adam to the ground that day. Put yeah. the, they were like, mm, you don't look trustworthy. That didn't really happen. One Friday night in the Rocky Mount High School gym, I, Roy Cooper, blocked Phil Ford's shot. <laughs> Phil got 52 points that night, <laughs> but by God, he did not get 54. That's right. There now, are two that he'll remember. Now, we triple-teamed him. We triple-teamed him, and uh, what actually happened is that he dribbled through two guys and was doing a scoop shot, and so I like to, in my mind, think about being up around the rim and swatting it away, but actually it was about shoulder level when I slapped <laughs> it out of bounds, but technically a block shot. And the great thing about Phil is that we, we lost to them every time. I was a year behind him. So when I was a senior, I played for Northern Nash High School. 
uh, we beat Rocky Mount four times after the, the year after Phil left. We beat them two regular season games, a Christmas tournament, and then in the playoffs. That's the difference a Phil Ford makes. <laughs> Phil Ford, you know, the greatest point guard in UNC history, and I know that's a mouthful, but you can tell Kenny the Jet and the rest of them, I said that. Um, and then, Adam, obviously we had, we had COVID. And not that COVID's gone, but we had the introduction of COVID. And I do think that not much positive out of COVID. But from the show's perspective, it opened up some avenues to new ways to talk to people, most notably on Zoom, of course, or Zoom type of video conferencing things. Um, the video pod came into being during this time period and had a great chance to start talking to some different type of some really different type of people than what we had done previously. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think up until COVID, we had it in our mind that like they had to be here with us or we could talk to them on the phone if we absolutely had to. Right. But we, our guests were limited to those we could bring into the room. And then all of a sudden, once we could bring them into the room, bring them into the room via Zoom. <laughs> TM, I'm TMing that right now. You can't have that Zoom. I mean, Skype existed before this, but yeah. we just didn't do it. Yeah. So sometimes because things are necessary and there were no sports. So you had to say, well, what other Tar Heels are making a big impact? And we found lots and, and people liked listening to them. Dan Cortez. Yeah, we had Dan Cortez on. What was the most surreal moment at the height of rock and jock fame when you're out there on the softball field with everybody from MC Hammer to downtown Julie Brown? What was the uh, what was the most surreal moment for you when you thought I can't believe that this is Dan Cortez out here? Well, there were uh, maybe two situations for for the basketball one. There was a um, uh, I threw a half court alley oop to Cliff Robinson, who played for the Trailblazers at the time, where he caught it perfect in stride and had an overhead dunk, and it was just sick. And he looked at me and was like. Told me that was an NBA pass. That to me, it was like I could retire. I should have sent that tape to Dean Smith at the time and said, "Coach, I still got two years of eligibility." Um, but then with uh, softball, it was probably I. I was the only celebrity ever to hit a home run in the Rock and John game. Ooh. So I had um, I had one, and then the the second time was um, uh, my very last at bat in my very last Rock and Jog game. I hit another one. So. Um, you know, it was surreal, but it was also just like, man, that was so much fun. We had some good ones. Sally Kralchek. Sally Kralchek. We had some good ones. Uh, there is easily a list of a dozen people who have been on the pod that when you look at that list for every single one, you're like, why did those people talk to us? Because of Carolina. And, you know, since then, we've been here in Pod World headquarters. We've continued to just be fortunate to get some great interviews. And shout out to Adam. He's the one who does... 97% of the interviews, he's the one who makes them happen and contacts and gets it all scheduled. Um, Joseph Forte, what a great interview that was. I wouldn't have stayed in college. It's just that simple. I came out early because I was too immature to deal with the, the change of not having Morgan and Bill Guppich, uh coaching style, so I left too early. If I would have stayed three, four years, it would have been totally different. I came once I came out early. I realized that those guys, Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker, were on a whole nother level. I was out my league, and I had to do the best I could because I couldn't come out and say, "Hey guys, 
I came out too early, you know what I mean? I need to be in school. I had to go with the flow. So that would be the biggest number one change. And then that would, that would basically be a domino effect to everything else that happened to me. And everything that happened to me, I'm more than, I'm, I'm fine with it. it. I was not fine with it at the time. I was very bitter. I was very vengeful. I was depressed. I went through mental challenges and still even battling mental challenges as far as understanding how could I have so much and do so little with so many great names associated with me. So I don't want you to think that it was just something that I slid under the rug. It took me time to get over, and now I'm past it. Loomer Letty, unbelievable interview. 1963, okay, and November 22nd um, in Dallas when President Kennedy was assassinated. What, unless you're a real history buff, what you won't realize is that, I, believe, and I can't have the number of days, it was either four or six days prior to that, President Clinton, I'm sorry, President uh, Kennedy had gone to Tampa, Florida and was involved in a motorcade almost identical to the motorcade that occurred in Dallas. Hmm. During that motorcade, the agents were, there's, a, there's the limousine and it has, you know, back then the limousine had a, a retractable roof, it was convertible. And uh, then behind that's the Secret Service follow-up car. <clears throat> and on the follow-up car, there's on the outside, there's like runner boards, and the agents can stand outside of the car, outside of the, out of the interior of the car, and they're on those boards. So during this Tampa motorcade, um, when the car, when the limo slowed down, the agents jumped off. The supervisor in the right front seat of the follow-up tells them, number one and two off, and they go up to the limousine, and they're on the sides of the, of the car. So... As the motorcade was progressing, President Kennedy tapped the supervisor in his car, the supervisor said, get the guys, get the agents off of the car. And um, so the supervisor got on the radio because you, it's, you know, there's a lot of wind and everything, noise, and radio to them, the president wants you off the car. So the cars were traveling at about 30 miles an hour. You can't jump off of a car that's moving 30 miles an hour without planting your face into the pavement. So he, they said, when the car slows down, we'll get off. So they couldn't get off for several minutes. And again, President Kennedy said, I, t- I told you I didn't want them on the car. So when the car slowed down, they got off. So once the, the motorcade re- reached its destination, the sack said to the president, what's the deal? And he said, I don't want them on the car. I don't like the look. It's like as if there's agents between me and the people. I don't want them on the car anymore. Now, that's what happened. Okay. So now the um, four or six days later, they go to Dallas and the word had spread through the detail. Agents are not allowed on the car. So they're in Dallas and the motorcade is moving through the streets and on the follow-up car, again, there's, there'll be four agents on the outside and there one or two on the inside. One of the agents on the outside was Clint Hill. And when the first shot's fired, Clint jumps, well, let me back up. Prior to the first shot being fired, Clint gets off of the follow-up car and goes up to the limousine and he's on the, he's on the back. He's riding on the boards. And... 
he's, he's told me this story personally. He said that once he was on there, he realized, I'm not allowed to be here. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, we've been, we've been told, don't get on the limousine. He said, I, I, he said, I can't tell you I thought the president was going to be shot. I didn't think that. He said, I just felt there was danger. Maybe because the crowds were so close. So he said, I, I stayed on the limo, and then I, I knelt down on the car to make it, to have a lower profile. And he said, then I realized I just got to get off. I got off the car, went back to the follow-up. He said, I was on the follow-up and I started to get this sense again, danger. So next thing I know, I jumped off the car. I was back up on the limo and again, realizing I'm not allowed to be here. He said, I got, I did this two or three times. And the last time that he got off was about in two minutes later, the first shot was fired. So Clint's on the follow-up car. Here's the shot, and he sprints off, and he's running as hard as he can, digging in. I mean, we're in street shoes, okay? Sure. And he's digging in, digging in, and he could see the limousine up there. He's closing on it, and then he hears, crap, the second shot goes off, you know? And then he hears, crap, you know, again, you know, clack, clack, the shots are going off. So he, he said, I knew, I knew it was rifle fire. He said that that last shot, I see the president's, basically his head exploded. And he said there was matter everywhere, okay? Blood and stuff splattered on everyone. And he said, I jumped up. Mrs. Kennedy was on the back of the car. I pushed her back in, and I got in on top of the president. And he said, I looked at him, and I knew right away he was dead. If he wasn't dead, he would be dead within minutes. So they raced to the hospital. The president dies. So Clint ended up becoming the special agent in charge of Johnson's detail, who succeeded President Kennedy. And um, it didn't take long. I didn't didn't know the exact time frame, but Clint um, had issues. And he blamed himself for the death of President Kennedy. Sure. And... Actually, there's an interview of him. It's on the internet where he breaks down during an interview saying the assassination was his fault. And the interviewer, can't think of his name right now, but he says, no, no one's ever blamed you for that. In fact, you've gotten awards and everything. He said, none of the awards I got mean anything. He said, if I'd have been faster, if I'd have been on that car, this wouldn't have happened. So um, for medical reasons or for reasons, he had to leave the Secret Service and he retired early. And he never came around the Secret Service. Okay, he just, he left. He was gone. And he was gone for a long time. And at one point, an, an assistant director went to his home and said, you know, you don't understand what you tried to do. Well, that was heroic, you know. I mean, who could run down a bullet? Who could run down a car, you know? <laughs> but you have to understand we in the Secret Service now, we consider you a hero. We want you to come back. So he agreed to come back. First time in 20, 30 years. I happened to be on President Clinton's detail then. And we met with Clint at the, um, at the White House. At the, back then it was the old executive office building where Secret Service PPD uh, headquarters was. And Clint came in. And he sat down at the conference table and told the supervisor from PPD the story I'm telling you about 
how the president said, get off the limousine. And he said, why, why didn't the sack, why didn't he argue with the, why didn't he tell the president? No, that's not your call. It's my call. That never happened. And he said, he, he looked at us and he said, you sitting at this table, you're the supervisors. Never let a president tell you to do something. You know, he's jeopardizing his own safety. You ha- you're here for one reason. You're, you're for secret service. You're protecting the president. You stand up to a president when it comes time. Not, not needlessly, but when it comes time, you tell a president no. So, you know, Clint went on. I, I became very close friends with him, and I still am to this day. And one of the things he told me, and it was when I became the agent in charge, again, he reiterated, never be afraid to tell the president no. He said, because they didn't, he said, he, when he goes to bed every night, the demons visit him. That's all I had to hear. And then, Adam, I think one final piece of all this is that also, obviously, we have always focused on football and men's basketball, but I think we've also had the doors opened, and we've talked about this before, to other athletes at Carolina, and you end up getting terrific People who just, they don't play men's basketball or football. That's okay. Like Alyssa Uspie's still awesome. Fiona Crawley's still awesome. Ruby and Emily from women's soccer, still awesome. Men's golf. I mean, we go down the line. I think we've talked to somebody just about every sport. Maybe not fencing, but I mean, we rowing. Might be missing rowing. Yeah. But I mean, I think we've talked to most every, or at least somebody, it's a coach or a former athlete or something. And it just makes you realize even in today's world of college athletics, that Carolina does value the broad-based program. How much longer can it value it at the same level? Who knows? But it, it is an important part of the fabric of Carolina athletics. And when you hear these people, you figure out why. Yeah. I mean, a, a big part of the pot has been that Carolina has been incredibly successful in a lot of different things. And so we've had a lot of really positive things to talk about. But the other huge component is the people. And that's what so many of these people say when they come in here, and we always ask them some variation of what is it about Carolina that made it so impactful to you, and they always say the people. And so many of those people have come through here, and I still remember Courtney Banghart saying before Alyssa Usby got here, you're really going to like her. And I thought, okay, that you are required to say that. But then I, she came in here that day. I was like, I do really like her. Like, I want to go watch her play. Same thing with Julia Noer today. Like, I, I didn't know Julia Noer before she came in there and sat with us in the video pod, and I now want to go to a gymnastics meet, maybe tonight at 7.30. So it, it just it gives you a little broader perspective on what's going on here and how it's happening. So more than anything, I want to thank you for being with us. And, I mean, that championship game run didn't hurt either. That was pretty fun. Those are some great episodes. Those are still fun to go back and listen to. Well, and and I'll say this, which Jones isn't going to like. When I do listen to other podcasts, and I also listen to this one. See, I don't listen to it. Well, of course not. I've already listened to it. The thing I I always come away thinking is how good this one sounds. Like, it's from day one. And even when I listened to the first one, what surprised me was like, oh, it's actually pretty good. Like, I in my mind, it was two tin cans. Right. But Pod World Headquarters certainly helped in that regard. Yeah, but <laughs> that that is like 10% compared to the 90% of the time y'all never see 
where it's dark outside and Jones is in here making it sound good and dropping stuff in that sounds like it just seamlessly fell in there right where it belongs. It didn't just happen that look, way. Look, Adam and I can't, let's not make a big deal that we're the best at everything, guys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> simply the best. Yeah. You're simply the best. we say we were out on a run one day and we were like why don't we do a pod all right when we get to mile 30 we'll go ahead Look, and do it i will dribble for a mile <laughs> that's, right. that's all i mean there's some weird things we've done i took shots as the field hockey goalie we had the dribbling a mile with the basketball i did somebody sent uh like responded to julian Noer's tweet it's like why don't you teach jones how to do a routine or something like i promise you that is not gonna happen <laughs> could i like walk on the beam, mm. like from one end to the other, turn around and walk back. I I hope I could be able to, but I can't guarantee it. I'd want them to lower it down like they do for the little kids. <laughs> yeah, just be on the like one that's six like, inches yeah, off right the ground. The yeah. Floor. Uh so this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna play I'm gonna go and play pod two hundred and three hundred right now. Just for a little trip down memory lane. <laughs> yeah, you know what we didn't even mention? Roadhouse Challenge, mm. Tar Heel Throwback, mm-hmm. Harrisonburg is Ralph Sampson's home. So, anyway, the whole point of all that is it's been more than six years. And we've, well, almost six years because we started in, right, in 2000. No, no, no. We started in 16. Yeah, right. like September of 16. So, it's been six and a half years. We've enjoyed it. Hope you've enjoyed it. Countdown to a thousand stars now, Adam. <laughs> but let's play pod two hundred. We'll go from that to pod three hundred. What up to Bill Leslie? Another great guest that we had. We did that in a big old conference room. Uh we uh we'll play those back to back, come out and uh get you ready for the rest of the show. Hill tour is on the road. Pat Green, baby face, leaky says retweet. Adam can't pronunciate. Jones's Christmas will inflate. Grape nuts, what up? Soda poppin' ski. Eric Church, Farmer Brown, going mobile round the town. Top Gun, Theo shoes. Cam is drinking pickle juice. Kobe White, little jerk. Mr. Pickle, it's absurd. Singing Patrick Swayze Christmas, I don't even want this. The pod made it to 200. Not sure how it's still around. The pod made it to 200. We're hashtag grinding, you keep subscribing. Red pandas dropping plates, arms crossed, serious face. Army, Navy, Pinehurst, Zion is a park. Kevin Bacon's anger dance, go to late night with no pants. Adam hates roundabouts, let's pot after dark. Cook out potties, Barry versus Teddy V. Freddie Kiger lefty, onesies and Rebecca B. Coach Doe Leaky Train taking class.
glasses with Shane, Luke, May, Friday, mascot Torin Jones's way. The pod made it to 200. Not sure how it's still around. The pod made it to 200. We're hashtag grinding. You keep subscribing. Mac is back, back. See Webb will text us back Katrina Bigster Jones will get your sucker Quick change story time Let's take a vacay from life Thursday throw the ball No game in Omaha Dick Bedore spinning tails Since no Grubar Jones fails Snickers, Crispers, Blues Bros Where did Lime Skittles go? Cooter, that's his name Adam knows the rap game Jones bumps photos What rocks El Paso? The pod made it to 200 Not sure how it's still around The pod made it to 200 we're hashtag grinding, you keep subscribing. Roadhouse Challenge, Footloose, Mr. Honkers, he's a goose. Robin's racing, Spotterville's amazing. Shorter open time is gone, we even had Ed Coda on. Lifetime pants is crime, how can you justify? Jones's dance at center court, Lil Sebastian was so short. Rizza, Adam's list, see you later, Big Red. The pod made it to 200. Not sure how it's still around. The pod made it to 200. We're hashtag grinding. You keep subscribing. Looking cool with hang loose. B Rob teaches Jones to shoot. Creighton, weed fight. Tar Heel Bird takes flight. Kersey joins on tourney week. Sherry is now Patty. JC Penny is here, cuz me. AJ Blue, Starbucks, ear erasers get stuck. Restaurant grades, pod chase. Nate Britt Jones's face. Monty's office, senior speech. Take my breath away scenes. Two babies, seeing double, working for the bubble. Pod made it to 200. Not sure how it's still around. The pod made it to 200. We're hashtag grinding. You keep subscribing, 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 subscribing. Don't forget to rate the pod as well. Right there on iTunes. Just give us those five stars. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Carolina underscore pod. Shoot us an email at carolinainsiderpod at gmail.com. 200 episodes down, and we're just getting started. But for now, well, let's let Katrina tell you. See you later, Big Grit. This pod has descended from Pod World Headquarters itself. We are taught that Brianna is an idiot. You're such an idiot, Brianna. <laughs> El Paso really rocks. Yes, El Paso really, really rocks. And that Big Grits is the greatest order that can be placed. See you later, Big Grits. The pod, the finest bonanza the world has ever known. Wow, bro. That's crazy. An iguana coma. Yeah. Iguoma. Watch your head, Jack! Here we go. You got to low. Show me that smile again. Show me that smile. This is madness. Which member of your family was Buttman? This is Pod.
JCPenney is coming here because of me. From Learfield, I'm G College. Apples and grape nuts. A what up goes to Tar Heel Bird, Adam. <laughs> North Carolina Nation everywhere throughout the universe. This is Bill Walton. And we didn't have tornadoes here until we started putting into traffic circles. Dr. Pepper. Here in Cary Oasis' backyard, we have signed the Magna Carta and changed the course of human history. I like it, Coda Coda. <laughs> I like it, Coda Coda. Tonight, we die at the Blue Plate Cafe. Can you possibly justify that? I don't like it when people are given web addresses and they have to say forward slash. I go backwards on my posterior on the escalator. Welcome to the Potty Awards. The Aristocrat of Tenderness. Army Navy is a game I want to go to. Discover, plan, or book your vacation to Zion National Park. It's Fallers like Adam with his TSA pre-check status. Pre-check! That doesn't mean Red Panda is any less of an elite performer. I would be lying to you, Adam, if I said I haven't at least thought in my lifetime of purchasing a seersucker suit. I didn't realize there was a baby. I just thought there was Dub Baby and Lil Baby. We're in for one wild pod. Naked Florida man revealed on video, sneaking into restaurant, munching on Raymond, ramen, 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 sorry, sorry. <laughs> even, I got, even I got that one. <laughs> I was thinking about something else. Do you think, Adam, <laughs> that Malik Monk <laughs> eats Raymond noodles? It is our maiden voyage on the Carolina Insider. I'm Jones Angel across the desk here in the Chapel Hill Carolina Insider World Headquarters is Adam Lucas. So this this is gonna be fun, right? I don't we don't really know what we're doing. You told me it was. Yeah. All right, Adam, we can do five-second challenge or we can do weekend preview. Which do you want to do? Let's do a five-second challenge. Let's go. I feel pretty good about this, and you actually touched on this earlier in the show. Here lately, I've been a little concerned about ACC basketball coaches and their longevity and the fact that the league just doesn't have the type of veteran coaches that it used to. It, an inevitable changing over at a lot of important jobs. In fact, there are only eight coaches in the ACC men's basketball we're talking about who have completed at least five seasons as head coach at that school. At the current school? Yes. Okay. Eight coaches... ACC men's basketball, who have completed at least five seasons as the head coach at that school. So the the five-second challenge is to name as many of those eight as you can in five seconds. And your time begins now. Larinaga, Hamilton, Passner, Brownell, uh, Keats. I'm not sure Keats is there. This might be his fifth year. Keats is there. Oh, nice. Okay, so, and that was what? I just got five? Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay, and you said there's eight. I think you'll get all eight of these when you have time to think about it. Okay, so all five of those are right. I'll just go yes. and tell you. <laughs> um, and so there's three more, and they are Bennett. I was going from south to north. Oh, uh, okay. I was wondering how you were going. Bayheim and Bray are That's the right. other three. Yeah. I probably could have gotten all eight. I, I, If I hadn't hesitated about Keats, that was the only one I was unsure of, I would have gotten all eight. Yeah. I mean, I... I originally started at 10 years, and so there were only going to be six. Passner and Keats would have been out. Mm-hmm. Keats 
has finished five. He is in his sixth. So Bayheim will be gone. I mean, sometime. I would assume Jim Bayheim and Jim Larinaga and Leonard Hamilton, for that matter. I, I would assume none of those guys have more than, I mean, 10 years would be a lot for any of them. So it, within, I'm going to guess the next five years, probably all three of those guys are, are moving on. And right? Br- Bray already moving on. Yeah. So that's four of the eight. Yeah. I mean, then you're left with Tony Bennett as the elder statesman of the ACC. Well, and as we've talked about before, and this isn't breaking news, both in this discussion and the constant discussion of the ACC being down has so much to do with Carolina and Duke. And that's not a, I'm not trying to be boastful towards the Tar Heels, but that's just the fact. And, and both of those programs are just going through enormous transitions, and neither one of them has had. I mean, I know some Tar Heel fans disagree with this. I mean, it's not like Carolina's not sitting here at 5-25 and 25 or something. Clearly, they haven't met the expectations that they had at the beginning of the season. But the Tar Heels haven't fallen off a cliff either. Um, but neither Carolina nor Duke is having the type of season that you're used to seeing Carolina and Duke have where you feel as though they could go to the Final Four. Now, could either one of them make a run? Of course they could. But uh, when that is out there... It just affects the perception of the league. It just does. And you've got two guys in John Shire and Hubert Davis, both of whom are, I know from Coach Davis's point of view, and I assume so from John Shire's, who are very good basketball minds, who have a history in the game, who both seem to be good guys, but it's never going to be easy. And so it, I do think those two spots and those two guys, not that they think about this, but they – what happens in the next like three seasons at those two jobs and how those guys do is, is a big part of how the league is going to be perceived and what happens with the league moving forward. Well, look at the attention Carolina and Duke have gotten relative to the attention Louisville has gotten for being awful. Yeah. No one cares that Louisville's awful. That's, that's one of your prime programs in the ACC. Yeah. Could you imagine if Duke was having that season? I mean, the, the amount of effort that would be put to being talked about it or Carolina. I mean, it would be. And it's not, it was not like we're saying, like, what a terrible burden to carry. Like, that's part of being Carolina and Duke. That's why it's good to be Carolina and Duke. But it also makes a big difference to the league, whether the league wants to say it or not. All right, let's take a look at the weekend. It's brought to you by UNC Health. Team up for life well played. Learn more at unchealth.org slash sports. unchealth.org slash sports. We mentioned this a little earlier. Gymnastics is at home tonight, 730 at Carmichael. Dual meet against Temple. We're coming for you, owls. Tarios have clinched the Eagle. Yeah, already. Regular back, season. Back-to-back regular season champs in the Eagle. Couple really good. Due to the dual meet record. As we all know. Couple really good Tar Heel teams opening ACC play this weekend. Women's lacrosse is up at Virginia Tech tonight at 7. That's at AC, on uh, ACC Network. Women's tennis. The wagon is back on the road. Goes to Virginia. 4 o'clock today. Big series for baseball this weekend. It's kind of weird. It's a three-game series with East Carolina. Only one is in Chapel Hill. That's on Sunday. Uh, but they're in Greenville today. That's at 5 o'clock. You can watch that on ESPN+. Plus. Real quick, the whole ECU, and correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, the original plan for that series was they were going to play each other two years, at least, maybe more. I know it was at least two seasons, with one game. So you play three games at one game in Chapel Hill, one game at ECU, and then one game at a neutral site. Is that correct? Yes. But weather or something, right? It was weather. Yeah, it got all it got askew. Messed it up last year, 
So they ended up playing two in Chapel Hill and one in Greenville. And so they're just they're evening it up by the way they're handling it this year. Two in Greenville and one in Chapel Hill. And I will say I, I, I don't dislike this series. I mean, I there's I have a long history with my thoughts on East Carolina. Um but this series seems to make sense to me. I applaud Scott Forbes. I mean, ECU's a, a really good baseball team and program. They probably should have gone to the College World Series last year, had a big lead in Game 3 of the Super Regional at home against Texas, and didn't hold on. And, you know, that was part of when the ball was flying out. It looks like the ball's not doing that this year. Yeah. So maybe a little different college baseball game. ECU's coming off a midweek loss to Campbell. That doesn't mean much. Campbell's good. Yeah, well, and, yeah, we've t- – again – Six and a half years. We've talked about this before. You baseball, you're gonna you're gonna see a game for Carolina and for everybody where you go. Wait, they lost to who? And that's just that's just baseball. Fencing and track are in the ACC championships this weekend. Tracks the indoor championships. That's in Louisville. Softball's down in Florida, playing a whole different host of teams. Uh, men's lacrosse goes to Syracuse on Saturday. That one's at three o'clock on the ACC network. And then Sunday, women's basketball at Duke. Women's tennis is at Virginia Tech. And men's tennis is home against Boston College. That's at noon. So two things on Sunday here in Chapel Hill. Men's tennis against BC at noon. Baseball against East Carolina at 1. Well, and I've seen women's basketball at least. I don't know if it's like actually the team or if it's kind of the the fan sites around women's. Trying to make a push to get a lot of Carolina Blue and Cameron on. Hmm on Sunday to really make a impact, have a big opposing crowd um, in Cameron. So if you're a huge Tario fan, which if you're listening, you are, if, uh, if you particularly like women's basketball, I've seen that push. So go cheer on the ladies. And that will be an intense environment. Like the way Duke plays and the way Carol Lawson coaches, it'll be a fun game to watch. Reminder that we are brought to you by StubHub. It's the easiest way to experience every Tar Heel game. Check the virtual view, score your seats, get your tickets delivered instantly. StubHub is the official fan-to-fan ticket marketplace of the Tar Heels. StubHub, be there. Adam, I have two notes from the Notre Dame game mm. that I wanted to bring up. Now, I thought about making this a what-up, which I think it probably could have been. But instead, I'm going to take it to a vacation from life. So, Adam, as you know, at Notre Dame, there is nowhere in the ACC, perhaps the country, that has the amount of pleasant ushers than at Notre Dame. To the point where I almost think they might have too many. Like, there might be too many ushers at Notre Dame. Sometimes I wonder what they're doing. Yeah. They're very friendly. They're very helpful. Welcome to Notre Dame. Always say welcome to Notre Dame. So, they are a part of the experience at the game at Notre Dame. Adam, I believe she is back here for all the opposing teams. So, in charge of the little space of hallway where the opposing team will be moving about is Barb. (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb and say Barb's been there for a while. (laughs) But, Adam... If you're coming between these ropes where the Tar Heel locker room and the opposing team locker room is, you're in Barb's house now. 
Bar Barb makes the rules. She's, I mean, but she's going to be pleasant. In fact, before the team had arrived on Wednesday, I was back because I was going to talk to Coach Davis for the pregame conversation. I was back there with Steve Kirshner, of course, the uh, SID for Carolina men's basketball. Steve and I were just hanging out waiting. Barb came and said, you know, uh, if if this person comes back and he traditionally likes to speak to the opposing head coach, is, is Coach Davis okay if I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want him to impose on what on what your team's doing. Like Barb is, Barb's got her finger on the pulse. So Adam, the Tariels arrived for the game and are filing in to the locker room one by one. Barb is there holding the door open and literally for every single player, manager, and coach. Barb, oh, good evening. How are you doing tonight? Hope you're doing well. Welcome to Notre Dame. Hello. Thanks for being here. Let me know if I can help you with anything. Adam, Barb's commitment to the job, and I have to admit, some of the confused looks on the faces of the Tar Heels made it such a vacation from life for me. It was just a funny it was just a funny scene to behold. And Barb's not dependent on the Irish winning because no, after no. the game... She was just as classy as she was before. Well, we were back there in the locker room area and things were a little tense. Yeah, a little heated back there. After the win because you might have seen it, the Tarles didn't play great. And so uh, Reagan Copeland, the, the manager, one of the managers, one of the great Tar Heel managers comes out of the locker room with this like completely traumatized look on her face. Like it's... It had been a rough night. Yeah. And here comes Reagan, and Barb goes, you got a great win tonight. And Reagan was like, thank you. <laughs> but, like, Barb's full commitment. Yeah. She's a Notre Dame fan. There's no two ways about that's that. okay, and that's, she should be. But those are her guests. Yeah. And she's going to treat them as her guest. That's exactly right. She is responsible for them having a positive experience. She can't help what happens on the court. But other than that, that's Barb's house. Thank you, Barb. Just know, Barb, that I respect you. Now, let's reset our thoughts and go right before we go on the air for the Tar <laughs> Sports Network. It's a 9 o'clock game, so we're on the air at 8. Well, and this is not unusual. I'd say this happens at maybe 50% of the places that we go at this point, if not more. Like, a lot of places don't provide press meals anymore, particularly in basketball. It, it seems to happen in football, but not in basketball. But what they will do is give you a, a voucher for the concession stand. So here's $10 or $15 or $20 or whatever it is. Oh, 20 Watch out. High, high living. Uh, and if you want, you can take it to the concession stand and get yourself some popcorn or a hot dog or whatever. I fully admit, I normally do not use the voucher. We almost never use Almost it. never. Just the way things had played out at Notre Dame, I wanted to use the voucher. I was very hungry. Well, and there were no drinks. That was a key part of it. Yeah. We had to hydrate. Because I had gone through the whole NC State game with nothing to drink. and That didn't work, obviously. Right. So I knew I at least wanted a if bottle. If you had known how the first half was going to be, you would have wanted something to drink. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. What so, up, Modelo? Proud sponsor of the Tarios, as well as Coors Light, Rocky Mountain Cold, Pinehurst Brewing Company. <laughs> uh, so Adam and I go up to the concession area 
And as Adam accurately said, maybe the first time we've ever been there at Notre Dame. I've never even gone up there before. So we're so early that the concession stand isn't quite ready for us yet. This is 7.50 p.m. Yeah, so we go in there at 8. So Adam and I, and Brandon Gray, who works with Carolina Basketball, all three of us are up there looking at the concession stand, checking out the prices, doing the mental gymnastics of, can I get a hot dog and popcorn and a drink and still fit in my $15? And so we're trying to figure it out. They were going to add tax. Yeah. You expect me to do that in my head? That was the tricky part, is that they were going to add tax. And you couldn't go to any specialty concessions right. either. Don't no. try to go to Ben's Pretzels. No. No. Where they hand weave it right in front of you. So. It gets to be like 7.56 or 7.57, and they're just now opening the, the window to the concession to make it available. Well, we go on at 8. Well, I, I just couldn't risk it. <laughs> so I, like, fling my voucher at Adam. I'm like, Adam, just get anything. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what do you want? I was like, anything, Adam. <laughs> so I leave Adam. At the concession stand. I hustle myself down to broadcast position. And as I'm arriving at the broadcast position, Adam, I realize something is amiss. (laughs) So normally, we are kind of at the end of the scores table, the side of the court that we sit on at Notre Dame. So normally in this scenario, it would be Ben Alexander, our chief, going from right if you're, if you're looking from behind us out to the court, going from right to left, Ben, me, Adam, Big Grits. Well, for whatever reason, they had put Angel Gray, the sideline reporter for the TV broadcast, in the far right position in this scenario. So it's Angel Gray, then Ben, then me, then Adam, then Eric. So I'm coming down the stairs. Angel Gray is out of her seat and disgusted. <laughs> What had happened? Chief Network Engineer of the Tar Sports Network, Ben Alexander. All Ben was trying to do was sit in a seat. But these seats at Notre Dame, Adam, the way they fold down, if you have your hand underneath the seat to, like, scoot it up or to balance yourself as you sit down or something, the way it folds down... Your fingers are in danger. Ben had had his finger underneath the seat. It had closed in. It had chopped off the top of his finger. So he's sitting there, blood just gushing down. Part of his finger on the floor at Notre Dame. Angel Gray disgusted at the situation because Ben is hemorrhaging all over where she should be sitting. (laughs) So, I'm coming down the stairs. I'm like, Ben, what's going on? Ben was kept very cool under pressure. He said, well, I've cut my finger. (laughs) (laughs) So, now, at this point, we're like 45 seconds before we go on the air. Then the hazmat people arrive. (laughs) Adam, am I right? Yes. So they're sitting there like in 
plastic suits. <laughs> like they were like transporting E.T. <laughs> yeah. Like think of those people. They start pouring this solution all over the floor. <laughs> we're 15 seconds from air. They're trying to like wrap up Ben's finger. He's trying to do stuff with his other hand. Boom, we're on the air. While all this is happening, Big Grits is sitting there, who is apparently the most popular man in South Bend, Indiana. <laughs> I can't stress this enough. We enjoy talking to Tario fans. Eric does too. But if the headsets are on and the mouth is moving, now's not the time to ask for a selfie. But there's like a line of Tario fans. One by one, they try to talk to Big Grits. He doesn't respond because he's on the air. But that doesn't key the next person to not try and do the exact same thing. So we've got this line of people trying to get to Eric. We've got Ben hemorrhaging all over the place. Angel Gray's on the verge of passing out. I'm trying to talk on the air. And here comes Adam. (laughs) Adam has a tray of food. I'll, let, I'll pass the baton to Adam and let him tell the story now from his perspective. Well, I was so proud of myself. I just wanted my friends to be proud of me because I, I had three vouchers. Mine, Jones's, Big Grits. That is $45 worth of vouchers, guys. Including the tax, most importantly. So I had been through all this mental gymnastics at the concession stand, and I first, when I placed my order... The lady said, well, that's going to be way more than $15. And I said, that's okay. I've got three. She goes, oh, we can't accept that. We can't take three at a time. And I said, well, unfortunately, I'm here, but the other two are on the air. Little did I know the other two were doing triage down at the sideline. They're not here. She goes, well, I'm going to have to get my supervisor. I said, well, you're going to have to call her. I said, what I could do is I could go through one time and give you one, and then I could come back through and give you number two, and then come back through and give you number three, but you and I both know that wouldn't be efficient. Look, I'm just trying to help you. Right. So eventually we came to an understanding that it would be okay if I bought the following. Four bottles of water, two fountain drinks, two hot dogs, two plain M&Ms. The big box kind. Not, oh, yeah. Not like, like a Like the bag. movie theater kind. Yeah, not yeah, a yeah. bag. So she piles them all on this tray. The like so like a pyramid, like yeah. nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. Adam was like the person at the bar who's trying to like show off how many drinks they can take to their table of friends, but he was just doing it with concession stand items. When she had to show me, she was like, put your arm under the cups so that it <laughs> rests like, on your forearm. Yeah, you I'm were, like, Well, my forearms are giant. Yeah. No problem there, guys. No big deal. Been doing some curls. Yeah. So I'm carrying the tray down maybe like twenty five steps down to the broadcast position. Well, when I get down there, it's not Barb, but it's another Notre Dame usher who's standing between me and the table. And I said, I'm going right there, pointing to where I was going to my seat. He goes, you don't want to do that. (laughs) And I'm sure I gave him a very confused look because I had on a pass, Jones, no big deal, that said all access. Yeah. What a... Sometimes we get passes to just say media or something like that. We both got all access at Notre Dame. We had free reign of the Joyce Center. Look, Usher, I'll go anywhere I want. All access, bro. And then he said something that never in my life did I expect someone to say 
when I was just trying to sit at my Tar Heel Sports Network seat. He looks at me dead in the eye, and he looks at my tray of a lot of items, and he goes, mm, there's a lot of blood down there. <laughs> I mean, of the members of the Tar Heel Sports Network, you'd probably think it was Big Grits. He has a history with this, of bleeding. Yes, and so then, like, because I had been laser focused, so I hadn't been looking at what was occurring. Right. I'd been trying not to spill anything because I didn't want Jones and Big Grits to get mad at me if I spilled their drink. So then all of a sudden I start looking around and there's an incredible amount of activity. It really was. And Ben's arm is up in the air like he's taking the oath to become a Supreme Court justice. It's he like holding his right arm <laughs> up in the air to try and help with the blood flow. And... I triumphantly sat down my tray and I just wanted my friends to be proud of me. And little did I know they really didn't care because we had an incredible medical emergency going on while they were talking. And like simultaneously, as I sat down, someone comes up behind Eric and taps him on the shoulder and goes, Montross, Montross. So I'm trying to explain to this guy that Eric's talking on the air, but I'm really confused about why Ben's becoming a Supreme court justice. And there's all this stuff on the ground that, it, like a gel. Yeah, some kind of gel. And they're like ra- actively like wrapping his finger. And the usher just told me that there's a lot of blood down there. That doesn't make sense. Man, what a moment. What a moment in time. I think that'll live forever. I'll never go to Notre Dame again that I won't remember. This is the site. Yeah, when you go to the newly named Alexander Center at Notre Dame. At least when Ben fell in the tunnel, there was no bloodshed. <laughs> yeah unfortunately there was video though no video of this which thank goodness for angel gray because she would not be able to watch it again i do think ben enjoys being called nueve now yeah yeah he's already got so many nicknames though. i mean we've already got sea devil which has been there forever but now nueve really it's nine and a nine and three quarters <laughs> man there's a great picture of me eating a hot dog while ben's <laughs> bleeding out by the way <laughs> Look, I was hungry. <laughs> I, hadn't eaten, I hadn't eaten lunch. I was hungry. At that point, it looked like Ben was going to live. Yeah. So it's time for all of us to live. <laughs> let, me get some, let me get some extra mustard. <laughs> ben is fine. Oh, yeah. Ben's fine. Ben's fine. And tough as nails. Did the entire broadcast. Yeah. Never a complaint. Yeah. He's fine. No update on the finger. Well, and honestly, we don't know how much was actually lost because it got wrapped so quickly. And then he didn't want to take the wrap off, understandably. But I don't think he's at 100% of the right pinky. I can't imagine that he could be. That blood had to come from somewhere. Man. Adam, let's get to your list. What's on the top of Adam's list? Brought to you by Top of the Hill. Where Tar Heels come to celebrate. Some various things on the list. A lot of good emails this week. CarolinaInsiderPod at gmail.com. Diverse emails, quality emails. Wanted to mention this club hockey game on Monday night. Carolina and NC State drew over 25,000 people to Carter Finley Stadium for club sports. Drake May was there. Marquise Williams was there. Two of our favorites. Um, Tar Heels lost. They had beaten State earlier in the year. Yes. So, uh, but I th- just overall, to get that many people to a club sport 
is yeah, really awesome. impressive. I mean, college hockey over twenty five thousand. I think Virginia Tech has a team. I'm trying to think who else the Tar Heels normally compete against. Those are State and Virginia Tech are the two like locally. I mean, Virginia Tech's stretching locally, but locally that I know they compete against pretty frequently. So, congratulations to those folks for pulling off great event. And hockey is, I mean, there's schools that play D1 hockey that it's incredibly popular. So, I mean, I don't think we're there yet no. for the Tar Heels, but I do think there's that's something to think about. But, of course, I'm not sure – a lot of adding sports going on right now. Right. In the where are we in college sports topic, I don't know if you've been watching. The, the Pac-12's having some issues. They yeah. can't seem to pull it together. And they're having trouble getting a media rights deal. Arizona Daily Star says Pac-12 men's basketball teams are averaging 6,249 fans for home games. That's the lowest since 1983-84. 52% of capacity. If you take out Arizona, it's 47% of capacity. Does that include UCLA? Yes. Mm. And so UCLA, as we know, headed to the Big Ten. So, I mean, the Pac-12 was feeling itself there for a little while, but right now they're sort of casting about. I mean, that 6,249 is your league average for basketball games? And right now, it, it seems like Gonzaga's sort of in the in the catbird seat out mm. west trying to decide, are they interested in the Pac-12? Are they interested in the Big 12? The Pac-12 thinks they can get Gonzaga to replace UCLA's basketball prestige, but Gonzaga doesn't play football. So I was just trying to think why the number – now, I mean, Cal is not very good. Stanford is right around 500. I don't know. I haven't heard anything. I don't know what Utah's doing. Colorado's pretty average. I mean, I Washington, Oregon's not as good as it has been. I mean, I don't know if anybody's very good. Well, and I and I think you combine that with the fact that I don't know that basketball is really part of the culture in many of those places you just named, and yeah. people are only going to go if you are good. Yeah, outside of Arizona, which I mean is right, which is. Yes, which and the this article makes the point: Would Arizona be better off in the Big Twelve? Right. Which, I, based on that and the current money situation, yes. Now, if the Pac-12 pulls an incredible media rights deal out of its hat, I think eventually, I think this brings up the whole Pac-12 ACC somehow unity discussion again. But we'll see. Uh. I know who's not in the Pac-12, George Washington. No. They'd never let the hippos in. You're welcome, George Washington. We have created incredible interest in your nickname selection process. And we have had a ton of people who are yeah. in some... Had their finger on the pulse here. Yeah. I think the, the most first-person account is Angie Flynn McKeever. As it happens, Angie, her husband, her son, and Angie toward George Washington just last Friday. Yeah. They were there. And they heard all about this from their tour guide, who Jones is on the committee to choose the new name. What an honor. It doesn't get closer to the source than this. The preference from at least this one student, and all students, was for the hippos. 
The tour guide told Angie this as they stood by the relevant hippo statue. What a moment that must have been. She explained, students come by the statue and rub its ears for good luck before big exams, auditions, and things like that. They even leave small offerings in its open mouth. When Angie was there, there was a flower and a note. Why why do you think powers that be at George Washington are against the hippos? I'm going to put on my academics hat and say that maybe it's not highbrow enough. It doesn't have enough historical relevance. As we know, it only goes back to 1996. Right. But that is almost 30 years ago now. Well, if people like it, it'll be historic enough right. 50 years from now. Would you rather be the person who selected hippos 50 years from now that everyone loves or the person that selected analysts? that everyone hates and 25 years from now they change it again so uh, uh tar heel golfer on twitter suggested commanders uh, in theory i like it but you're right there with the other commanders right who are who are new also david Poole suggested minutemen i think that's fine is is that still umass yeah you uh, I mean that's a pretty unique one. You know, that's like if somebody else just called themselves the Tar Heels, I think. We'd be, everybody be like, "What?" I mean, now I'm not saying UMass and Carolina are as nationally known, but I think it's a unique enough uh mascot that if someone else took it, you'd be like, "Wait a second. But if someone said they were going to be Tar Heels and then they told me that their other choice was analysts, I'd yeah. be like, "Well, uh, I mean, you had no other choice." Yeah. Uh James Ludeman says right now he's leaning towards blue fog but he had two suggestions generals i don't mind generals and i can't really think of any general george washington generals see now that makes sense yeah that that george washington generals is better than anything on the list of 10 in my opinion honestly i think that's my favorite one i've heard so far other than hippos well yeah and then uh, James also suggests the chompers because George Washington had teeth problems and had many kinds of <laughs> dentures made from things like brass, horse teeth, mm. and sadly, human teeth. Oh, that's gross. James also did some research and found the George Washington Student Association website that appears to show the original student petition that caused the university to question the use of colonials. They gave three alternate suggestions, all of which were better than any of the list of ten. They included revolutionaries. Eh. River horses, whatever, and hippos. It's been right there. It's right there in front of you. We can't do any more than we've done. I am I am surprised they didn't have generals because I think that's the best option outside of the obvious answer of hippos. Daniel Potter said he thinks uh, he could imagine Blue Fog winning, but he runs Blue Fog through his will my kid get made fun of in the lunchroom test, mm. which we said you have, to, you have to do. Daniel anticipates Blue Fog will be referenced as Fog for short. Picture cheerleaders yelling, Sco Fog, with their pom-poms rustling. Now picture a student creating signs or T-shirts that feature Fog Off, WTF, Watch the Fog. Or forget you. Hmm. Daniel knows these are bad jokes, but he also remembers being an 18-year-old child slash supposed adult 
and the people he went to college with. But I think you could do this for anything. Oh, yeah. But but maybe not generals. What would you do to generals? The George Washington generals. That just makes sense. That just makes sense. Anything's better than the list of what they have. It really is. We'll continue to keep you updated as we know that moniker madness or whatever they call it yeah. is underway now. Uh, Daniel Potter also sent us another email uh, and has come up with a pod rating system. Mm. A PRS, as Daniel says. It will use pod lingo as a ranking from one to five. This is outside of the Roadhouse or Ho 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 movie system, a way to rank everyday occurrences that are somewhat pod related. Here's the start of Daniel's proposal, but he's flexible. <laughs> this is still within, it's just on level one of the working group. Yeah, we haven't even convened a focus group yet, so it's not official at yeah, all. Yeah, we're still uh, talking to... We're still talking to George Washington on how to best handle this. A one would be Sad Friday. Down in the dumps are awful. A two, a racer in the ear. Yeah. Painful, but some comic relief for others. Like Ben's finger, is that a two? Yeah. Yeah, that's an eraser in the ear. Three, little jerb. Funny, not fully authentic, but of good quality. Okay. Four, sign the board. Excellent, not undeserving but missing that elite factor. Now, I quibble with this. Everyone on the board is elite. Yeah, of course. And it really makes people happy when they get to sign the board. Board's really filling up. Looks good over there. Sometimes I just look at it for a while. <laughs> Especially now that we've got the geographic list of who's Yeah, we're where. really trying to up our game on knowing where everybody's signatures are. I'm probably 60% of uh, the way through the board as far as getting – geographical locations for all of them but i think we're at 99 percent for knowing who's yes. who yes if I, not 100 percent. yeah we might be there are a couple there were a couple that were tough but i think we've we've made it uh, and then daniel says a five would be bang bang my friend down in pod history eternal yeah uh so i don't mind this rating system daniel relates it to a beverage that he recently found that he gave a solid little gerb this, what a terrific beverage. See, I would never be able to drink this beverage because it's called Respect the Escalator. What hilarious. Probably use this on the video pod so everybody can see it, which may or may not come next week. It really just depends on our schedule, which is very busy. Uh, so, Daniel, I appreciate We should get one of these, put it in Podwell headquarters. Like the Respect the Respect Escalator. The escalator that would be good. That should go in here. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, let's see what else. Oh, Kate Leslie. This was a good point that I hadn't really thought of. Our Joe Lenardi discussion from why he had to be on for an entire segment of the Carolina NC State game. Kate points out that we may be a little too far removed from the sports betting discussion. Mm. I really am. It's way more popular than what I think it is because I never think about it. But when I'm at games or whatever, the people around me are always talking about it. Yeah. And I never think about it. NCAA, don't bet on it. Uh, she thought perhaps Joe Lenardi's prevalence with ESPN might have something to do with that as people are getting ready for their brackets and are quote-unquote doing their research. Maybe that would be why they continue to push him. It might be. I still, I still think the our basic argument stands of it's not irrelevant 
conversation. It's the place in which they are putting it, which doesn't make sense to me. Like it is, I understand why someone would want to hear it. And I do think Kate's point is right. That probably there are some people who, for just that reason. But again, it's the jamming it in during it. It's making the game secondary to hear from Joe Lenardi that I disagree with. Trey Winton had an email on this topic, basically sort of agreeing with us. And he said, so we will read it now. Yeah. So it's important. He thinks, and I think this is right. The ESPN essentially takes the diehard fans who will watch the game no matter what for granted. So Trey says, then the question becomes, how do you grow that audience of people? And he thinks ESPN has determined the way to grow the audience is by taking the talk show format that's apparently worked so well for their morning and afternoon programming and importing it to actual games. Trey says maybe if you're passively interested enough in a particular game to tune in, you stay tuned in because the talk show topics either make you agree or make you mad. That's not what Trey wants to see, but obviously he thinks there's an audience for it or they wouldn't keep throwing it millions of dollars at guys to argue with each other every day. Yeah, There are a lot of guys arguing shows. That is something that they do enjoy having on the air. So I, I think all these people are probably right in some way about what they're talking about what a what a high level discourse we just had yeah we wanted to say thank you to christian and hatley for sending us some incredible stickers yeah featuring some big tar hill wins over a certain former coach from durham we don't exactly know what we're going to do with the extras that we got yet but Something will happen that will make it clear to us. We've got like a little store up here where we've got some <laughs> pod stickers. We've got these new stickers. Maybe we can start uh, peddling some stuff on game day. We- Why don't you go out there in the tip-off tip off club, club and set up a table and sell some stuff? Yeah. Get to work, Adam. How do you think we would do? I mean, we couldn't sell shirts, obviously. No, 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 no. But- oh, come on, Adam. Why would you think that could ever happen? But maybe stickers, since we already have the stickers. I can't believe you thought that we'd sell shirts, Adam. No, well, it would take a while to get that put together. Uh, last thing, I just wanted to end with a quick, you're such an idiot, Brianna. Oh. What does Big Brother say that echoes across the glacier? You're such an idiot, Brianna. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Marty Smith, recently set some sort of cornhole record. Longest cornhole shot or something, he did it on TV. I don't know all the specifics. Quite a record to hold. But I know who does. Someone on Twitter named Dusty Lane, which is his actual name. This is a real person. Dusty is absolutely furious about Marty Smith claiming to set a world record in cornhole, and he said, Dusty sent the following email to the Guinness Book of World Records. Where did you see this? On Twitter. Oh, okay. So you know it's true. Yeah. Dusty writes as follows. Hello. How do I report an inaccuracy of a record set by someone that I have all caps, clear evidence, broke the rules of the contest? Reminder, this is for the world's longest cornhole shot. Yeah. A few months ago... ESPN's Marty Smith was awarded a world record for, quote, longest beanbag toss. The rules stated, all caps, no body part may cross the line, including hand upon release. And photos and video 
show Marty's arm was absolutely across the line upon release, nearly to his elbow. I have still shots of the infraction that I can send if needed. I would like to officially protest this record. Please review it. As I told Marty myself, rules in sports must matter, all caps, Jones. What compounds this wrongfully awarded record is that this man's career is in reporting sports. Please guide me in how to proceed with an official protest of this record. Thank you. Marty Smith was probably walking like outside a football game or a race or something. And this dude comes up to him and he's like, Marty, Marty, Dusty Lane. And Marty's thinking, oh, yeah, I'd love to sign an autograph or take a picture or something. I need to talk to you about your fraudulent (laughs) cornhole record. (laughs) Marty Smith's like, "Uh, maybe later, bro. Dusty then doubles down with this tweet and says, why it matters to me, whether it's politics or sports, I am fed up with the higher ups getting the rules changed for their benefit. Per video, Marty Smith's hand clearly crossed the line, and that is a rule violation. But he claimed victory on TV and celebrated. He cheated. Boom, mic drop, Dusty Lane. Just put you in your place, Marty Smith, with your quote-unquote world record that we all know is built on a house of lies. What do you think this guy's life is like? This is exactly why they stopped doing the thing in like the PGA where people could call in rules violations during the tournament if they saw it on TV. I bet Dusty Lane was hawking those Sunday rounds <laughs> on the PGA Tour just like waiting for someone to misstep. These higher-ups getting their rules changed to break their Beanbag toss records shall not stand under the watch of Dusty Lane. If there's one area that I think higher ups are running amok <laughs> and need more, need some more regulations from the people, it's it's cornhole. Yeah, that's where the real problems lie. Let's do our uh, remember these guys, Tar Heel time capsule. Oh yeah. For the first time. Adam has selected a defeat yeah. for the Tar Heel time capsule. I couldn't decide. What do you think is more important here, that the Tar Heels win the game or that it's related to an opponent who the Tar Heels are getting ready to play? No, I think, look, the Tar Heels haven't won every game in their history, Adam. I know it feels like it right now since they're coming really off that dominating victory on yeah. Wednesday night. They can't all be blowouts at Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, so we go back to February 24th, today... Back in 2004, Carolina at Virginia. Of course, Cavaliers coming to the Smith Center this weekend. A 74-72 Virginia victory. This is in Roy Williams' first season as the head coach of the Tar Heels. Uh, Let's see. Let's go to the Greensboro News and Record. They picked up the AP story written by Hank Kurz Jr. I'm surprised Rob Daniels or somebody yeah. couldn't have gone to this game. Yeah, me too. Todd Billett hit his third 
decisive three-pointer in four games, connecting with 13 seconds left Tuesday night to give Virginia a 74-72 victory over number 12, North Carolina. The Tar Heels were 12 in late February, and I remember that season as being like a very up-and-down, and they were number 12. The Cavaliers now just 5-9 and nine in ACC play, 15-10 and 10 overall. Led briefly, only twice in the second half, before Billet came around a screen and shot with defender Raymond Felton in no position to stop him. When the ball rattled in and when Felton's desperate heave at the buzzer was not even close, University Hall erupted in hysteria with hundreds of students storming the court from both ends. Adam, was this the last year Virginia played in U-Haul? Or did they play one more? I think maybe one more. It was Virginia's seventh victory in ten games against the Tar Heels. It was much needed if the Cavaliers are to avoid the ACC play-in game. Virginia kept pace with Maryland in the win column after the Terrapins beat Clemson. Virginia-Maryland finished the season in College Park. Now, North Carolina, 16-8 and and number 12 in the country. 6-7 and in conference play which had won two in a row to get back to even in the league, started its last chance at midcourt with 9.8 seconds left. The Cavaliers had two fouls to give, and Billet fouled Felton with 7.3 left, restarting the possession. Jason Clark knocked the ball free on the next inbound, forcing Felton's off-balance try from the right. We'll go down a little bit here. Sean May, of course, now an assistant coach for the Tar Heels, led North Carolina with 20 points, and Felton had 16. On down we go. North Carolina led 66-57 with eight minutes left, but Virginia rallied as Smith sandwiched a driving basket in a dunk around a basket by David Noel. And the Smith that is being spoken of is Devin Smith for Virginia. And the article concludes, oops, hold on, went to the wrong one. Article concludes that Forbes' three-point play and two free throws by Elton Brown, Captain nine to run, pulled the Cavaliers to 68-66 with 432 remaining, setting up the final minutes. So, Adam, this Roy Williams first season at Carolina, starting five for the Tar Heels, all guys we easily remember, Melvin Scott, Tough day for Melvin. Two for 11 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3. Raymond Felton, Rashad McCants, Jawad Williams, Sean May. May had 20, Felton 16, as we said. Nobody else had more than eight. Off the bench, Jackie Manuel, Justin Bolander, Jesse Holly, David Noel, Byron Sanders. Hmm. Just for giggles, Bolander played two minutes. Jesse Holly played one minute. Byron Sanders played one minute. David Noel played 23. Jackie Manuel played 27. So basically seven guys played. Right. For Virginia. Remember these guys, Adam? I definitely remember Todd Billett. Rutgers transfer. Yeah. I would not have thought of him until I read this. Yeah. TJ Bannister. Remember the name? By the way, it's amazing just doing this. This game is five years later than the last Remember These Guys. Adam could tell me the height, weight, yeah. hometown of every state player. Yeah. These Virginia guys, he's like, eh, yeah. I think he was a guard maybe. <laughs> yeah. Did he play for Virginia? 
J.R. Reynolds. Yeah. Elton Brown. I remember him. And Jason Clark, starting five for Virginia. Mm. Off the bench, Derek Byers. Majestic Map. Oh, majestic Map. You can't forget Majestic Scientific's Map. Had brother. his brother, Scientific. Gary Forbes. Devin Smith, who had 20 in this game. I don't really remember that guy. He was referenced in the story, but I don't really remember him. And Dante Minter, who oddly enough, I do remember that name. I think, didn't he get in some kind of trouble? I think he might have. Maybe that's why I remember his name. Uh, Carolina would go on this particular season to be a six seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, the Tar Heels beat Air Force in the first round and then lost to Texas in the second round. Hard to believe Tar Heel basketball would lose to Texas. Hmm. Let's see what Virginia did. I doubt, I don't think they made the tournament. I don't think so, since they were battling to – who's the Virginia coach at this point? Jeff Jones? Oh, oh no, it's uh, Dave Lado, right? Oh, that's right. We're in the Lado era. Oh, he could get so angry. Yeah. All right, hold on. We are trying to make our way here to 2004. All right, Virginia finished the season 20-13. and 13. After this win over the Tar Heels, they would beat Wake Forest 84-82, but then lose to Maryland 70-61. They then went on ACC tournament and beat Clemson before losing to Duke Mm. 84-74. They then went on to the NIT. Mm. Adam, in the first win, or the first game, they got a win over the mighty... Colonials of George Washington, mm. 79-66, and then lost to Villanova uh, in the next game. Hmm. Man, always enjoy remember these guys. Remember those guys? Remember how people always wanted Justin Bolander to be a little more than what he was? Why doesn't Bolander play 20 minutes? Some things never change, Adam. Yeah, that's right. Okay. By the way, late breaking news here reports that John Lilly, Tar Heel tight ends coach, leaving to go to the Panthers. What? In fact, it's been tweeted by the Carolina Panthers, so I guess it's accurate. What's their source? <laughs> Our source is the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, that's well, a thumbs down. Well, and everyone we had in here from the tight end room talked about what a great coach John Lilly is. Yeah. That's disappointing. It is disappointing. I mean, I'm happy for John Lilly or whatever, <laughs> but let's talk about me personally. Yeah. I know it's been a long journey. We're almost done. We do have a story. But before that, adjust your volume. Here comes an ad. Okay. Uh, Let's wrap up with a story time. Congratulations, Bradley Cox. You get a story time on the 500th episode of the pod. Go ahead and get the story ready for Thanksgiving. Not this story, but the story of saying that we read your story. Get that ready for Thanksgiving dinner. Okay. Mr. Goosehonkers, what an honor. We, of course, couldn't have a 500th episode without Mr. Goosehonkers involved. He's going to spread his wings because Bradley's story starts like this. I have been a big Tario fan since I went to UNC, class of 91, and UNC School of Law, class of 95, Hashtag no big deal, guys. 
My friends were a bit surprised when I started dating and eventually married a self-proclaimed Duke fan. It was actually worse than that. As she went to East Carolina, her mother went to South Carolina, her uncle went to NC State and lived in Atlanta, cousins went to Maryland and West Virginia, her aunt went to UVA, grandfather went to Wake Forest, and Duke. She was a true ABC fan as she always had an excuse to root for whichever team UNC happened to be playing. Eventually, she got outnumbered in my house as the kids started cheering for UNC at a very young age. Parentheses, I told them they could pull for whoever they wanted, but they only set off fireworks when Carolina scored. Hmm. Yeah, gets you in the right mindset. It's a fair way to do it. To be fair, she was never obnoxious about her fandom. Hashtag so classy. And the most annoying she would get would be telling us how cute Mike Dunleavy or various Plumley brothers were. Mm. That's concerning, Bradley, but we'll pass over it. Yeah. However, even when my daughter started at Carolina a few years ago, my wife would deliberately not wear light blue on game day, but her resolve was eroding. The turning point was at Hubert Davis's press conference when being named the new head coach. She thought she was already prepped for emotions after watching Coach Williams announce his retirement, but Coach Davis got her. By the end of the press conference, Hubert was tearing up. She was crying, saying, I love that, Hubert. Since then, she wears Carolina blue on game days, Tar Heel earrings to the football and basketball games, and now describes the games in terms of we did this. So, it took 25 years to get her in Carolina fandom, but Hubert Davis closed the deal, and she became his first recruit before his press conference even ended. One of Hubert Davis's greatest strengths, Adam, is his ability to connect to people personally. I believe that, and you see it right there in Bradley's email. Even to people he doesn't personally yeah. know. Yeah, that's right. So... What a great day that must have been for Bradley. Like, finally. Yeah, it's going to be a lot easier now. Yeah. Well, Adam, we've done it. 500th episode of the pod in the books. It feels like we've only done maybe like 488. I feel like, I feel like we should maybe put an all-star team together mm. for our See You Later Big Grits. feel like that should happen. I mean, we'll have Julia Noer, of course. Right. But then I think we'll we'll put a little bit uh we'll put some we'll put a couple pod favorites uh after that. Does that sound good? With All-Star See you Later Big Grits 200 and 300 ditties. This will be like an all-time pod reference yeah. material. Yeah. So for now, we're going to let Julia Noer, a couple of great pod friends and there is a get us out of here on the latest edition of the Carolina Insider. I'm Julia Noer. See you later, Big Grits. Breaker one, breaker one. Might be crazy, but I ain't dumb. Crazy cooter coming at you. Hey, all is old Ben Jones from the Duke's Hazard. See you later, Big Grits. I'm down. I'm gone. This is DC, the brain supreme of tag team. Giving a big holler to my main man, Big Grits. Scoop. There it is. Sprinkles! This is John Grisham, 
See you later, Big Grits. <laughs> I'm Pete Chilcutt. See you later, Big Grits. I'm Rebecca Black, and I am wishing you the best weekend you've ever had in your life. See you later, Big Grits. I'm Tyler Hansbro. See you later, Big Grits. <laughs> Y'all, I'm Chase Rice. See you later, Big Grits. What's up, what's up, everybody? It's Danny Green here, and I'll see you later, Big Grits. I'm Drake May. See you later, Big Grits. What's up? This is Mark from Hinder. See you later, Big Grits. I'm Billy Crudup. See you later, Big Grits. You're priceless. I'm Sam Howell. See you later, Big Grits. I'm Marty Brenneman. See you later, Big Grits. I'm Peter Gammons. See you later, Big Grits. I'm Lefty Dussel. See you later, Big Grits. I'm Hakeem Nix. See you later, Big Grits. Hey, I'm Jeff Saturday. See you later, Big Grits. I'm Hubert Davis. See you later, Big Grits. Hi, I'm Sam Perks, and I'll see you later, Big Grits. <laughs> I'm Brady Manick. See you later, Big Grits. I'm Bill Raftree. See you later, Big Grits. I'm Alexander Julian. See you later, Big Grits. I'm Sally Krawcheck. See you later, Big Grits. Hello, this is Bob McAdoo. Welcome to Big Grits. <laughs> <laughs> this is Big Grits to all you other grits saying, see you later, Big Grits. North Carolina nation, everywhere throughout the universe. This is Bill Walton, and I just want to say thank the heavens for Big Grits. That guy is better than perfect. He is awesome beyond description. We love all things Big Grits. Thanks, Big Grits, for your kindness, for your generosity, for your patience, and for my life. I love Big Grits. When I was small. Nothing at all. We used to eat grits for dinner. Found box of sugar in a stick of margin. A hot pot of grits kept my family from starving. Steamy hot meal served less than five minutes. Big silver pot boiling water salt in it. House full of brothers and sisters, the pot's missing. Pilgrim on a box on the stove in the kitchen. When I was small, we had nothing at all. We used to eat grits for The preceding has been a Learfield presentation of the Tar Heel Sports Network.